The bitch is back. <laughs> the bitch is fucking back. Fuck yeah. Let's go. Okay, this is going to be impossible for me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Is that coming through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the south side of my asshole lives the baddest turd in town. <laughs> and if you fart down there, yeah, you best be aware of a man named Shitstain Brown. <laughs> now Shitstain ain't a turd, no. But still, he stand about six foot four. All the hoochie mamas call him ballsack wing Guess all the men just call him bro And he's bad, bad, shit-stained brown The craft smell man from way downtown Smelly like Mason's balls Stinky like a Noah stall Now shit-stained, he's a farter And he's left some nasty skids and he's always ripping nasty farts in front of everybody's kids. He's got a brand new Yoda Funko. He's got Amiibos encased in glass. He's got an NFT brother. He's got three. He loves to fuck his own nasty ass. And he's bad, 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 bad. Shit stained brown. The crap smell man from way downtown. Smelly like Mason's balls. Stinky like a Noah stall. Well, Sunday, about a week ago, shit stain took a crap. And at the edge of the bull shot turns into the hole, so big you'd have to clap. Well, he cast his eyes upon them, and his stomach fucking squirmed. Shit stain puked on his crap right there, and everybody else got burned. Ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Bad, 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 bad. Shit stain brown. The crap smell man from away downtown. Smelly like Mason's balls. Stinky like a Noah stall. Ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Shit stain took a mad fall, and he fucking slipped on his own puke. <laughs> Shit stain stung like a drunk old skunk and said, Fuck with a missing tooth. Bum, 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 bum. And he's bad, <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Shit stained brown. The crap smell man from away downtown. Smelly like Mason's balls. Stinky like a Noah stall. And he's bad, bad. Shit stained brown. The crap smell man from away downtown. Smelly like Mason's balls. Stinky like a Noah stall. Yeah, smelly like Mason's balls. Stinky like a Noah stall. Now I have to look at you for the first yeah. time after having done that, bro. Yeah. That's evil. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've had to like look me in the eyes after doing one of those. I know. It sucks. Not and like not to mention just like through even through a zoom screen. I never looked this at is you what's crazy. <laughs> I never looked at you once during the Zoom no, screen No, why era. should you? Why would you? That, that, that was the perfect excuse for me now. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Never said that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the complete utopia of what that podcast would have looked like. Yeah. Hey, very good point. Hey, you too. <laughs> Shaking hands through the screen. Hey, what a civil discourse that was. Yes. No one got hurt afterward. Yes. What, a nice, what a nice show that would have been. 
Fucking would have sucked, though. Yeah, it would have sucked. No one wants to hear nice niceties on the podcast streams, on the podcast. The world is too nice as it is. You that's know? what we I'm always saying. <laughs> that's what I'm always saying. We need somewhere that where men can be men and just be pigs <laughs> and mean to each other. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing today. Folks, if you don't know, we're back in the studio. <laughs> Those got his, his keys. And today, folks, um, this is on the list with Noah and Mason, as you know. It's a podcast about underrated movies, music. And a whole lot more. And today's one of those a whole lot more kind of things. Yeah, this is a whole this is a, a whole lot more. This is a whole episode. lot more because you know where we're at? We're tell them where we're at, Mace. We're in Chicago, Illinois, baby. Woo! We are in uh, an undisclosed hotel room. True, thank you for <laughs> I wanna beat the crap out of yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not like, gonna dox you until are. after you leave uh leave Chicago, but an undisclosed hotel room. Yep. And uh Noah decided to come up and well, Noah. Yeah. I haven't heard the report back, actually. But why don't you tell the folks why you decided to come to Chicago this this time of year? This time of year. This day of mine. Yes. Um. Well, there's a few reasons that I came. But the thing that started it off was last night, as of this recording, I saw the man himself checked in, checked an item off the bucket list. I saw Elton John on the Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour at Soldier Field. Soldier Field. And um, here's, what I, here's, <laughs> here's what I will say. Um, this is day four or five, I think, because I, I got in on August 2nd. Uh, and today is the fifth? Sixth. Today's the sixth. So I guess this is going on day five of me being here. Yes. My body is destroyed from, <laughs> from being here uh, due to the insane heat and humidity. Yep. And walking at m- bare minimum. Yeah. Ten thousand five hundred steps a day, and that's the like that's the that's the floor. Yeah. I'm yesterday. I walked sixteen thousand three hundred steps, brother. And I am. I feel like fucking dog <laughs> Duke right now. These are the dog days of summer. You're having a dog days of Chicago. I'm having a hot dog day. You are absolutely having some hot dog days right now, my I man. I am. Dude, it was, but I, so like literally I ate dinner kind of not exactly in your neck of the woods, but close by your sure. neck of the woods because yeah. I wanted to try this place. And I was like, well, I'm going to take an Uber from here to Soldier Field because trying to get there where I was via public transit just would have been a little bit of a nightmare. Right. So I was like, we'll splurge. We'll do the Uber there. So like two guys cancel on me <laughs> from where I'm at. They're like, we're not taking you to Soldier Field. And I'm like, cool. This is about to be a fuck of a night for me. <laughs> and, and, and this guy picks me up and to no fault of his own, I just can't really understand him that well. Right. He's got a very thick accent. So what I later found out <laughs> was not him saying, Hop on in. It was him saying, "Is it okay if I don't drop you off directly at Soldier Field?" And I did not know that until he dropped me off on what I think was Ninth and Michigan. Uh, okay, yeah. So, just geography wise, with the city of Chicago, that's not an impossible distance to walk. But, but it's not. You're close. not. Tr- it's not close. No, you're not trying to walk. If you're not trying to walk that far, if that's what that guy did. Yeah, hundred percent. He yeah. was like. I later realized, oh, he was saying, I don't want to wait 
in the drop off line because yeah. I'll be there for an hour. And I didn't yeah, yeah, know yeah. what the fuck he was saying, to yeah, be yeah, completely yeah. honest. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I walk from uh, from Ninth in Michigan. Very close to Columbia College Chicago campus, by the way. All right, shout out to Columbia College Chicago campus, by the way. By the way. Gotta get him in there every episode. <laughs> that was a little secret Easter egg during the main run of the show. Was always dropping Columbia College Chicago. Uh, yep. Very cool. Was that the Jackson stop that you would usually get off at? Harrison. 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 Yep. Harrison or Roosevelt. Yep. Great. Yep. To, uh, hey, I would <laughs> yep. work. This, this is the content that people fucking love. Yep. Dude. They, they love the Chicago specific. <laughs> they love it. Uh, we, can we get more granular and more like the, the uh, uh, Oh, God. Like the Blackstone Hotel or something. Or like, I'm trying to just picture Ninth in Michigan specifically. Couldn't uh, tell you what was know, over there. Whatever. But still, you're not. You're trying to get to Soldier Field. Trying to get to Soldier you're Field. You're not trying to like go down Michigan Avenue across Roosevelt and then through the museum campus to get to Soldier Field. To see Elton John. Of all the people. Exactly. I'm like, if well, here's what I was thinking in my head. Because I was already tired yeah. from the days of getting... Because, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. Yeah. I'm a sort of a West Coast guy, you know? <laughs> I'm not used to getting on a bus and a train to go everywhere. Right. So I have to think about everything yeah. when it comes to getting around. And it's exhausting if you're going up and down the city and seeing all this different stuff. And so I said to myself... Okay, I'll Uber to the to the venue, mm-hmm. but then I will walk to Roosevelt to get back. Okay, yeah. I'll do the trade-off. Yeah. Because I got that seven-day pass, so I'm, right. I'm riding pretty for that kind of shit. Ooh, let's Woo! go! We love the pass. If we anyone is still listening, I promise you will love how the story ends. So I'm walking there just with the biggest pack of people that I've walked with in a long time. Yeah. So many people are walking to Soldier Field, and I'm just one of the sheep, just following along. Bah, just, bah, bah. I'm going. I'm pretending that all the people are my mommy duck, and I'm looking right at their assholes <laughs> to follow them to the main pond, which is Soldier Field, home of the Chicago Bears. And so I'm walking there, and I was fortunate enough to be able to get a on-field seat. Yes, you really did treat yourself with that, and I think that's great for you. I, it's really cool. I literally, well, it was, I am never going to be able to see that guy perform again. Never, so yeah. Because this is his farewell Yellow Brick Road tour, so I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Yeah, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it for real. Yeah. So I didn't get the furthest, I didn't get the closest section, but I was far up in the middle section of the because they divided the on the field section into like three tiers sure 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 yeah so i'm i will call it the upper middle class of field tiers okay so i'm not so you're getting off the titanic is what you're saying oh i'm i'm pushing people off (laughs) (laughs) into the water i'm like get the fuck out bro that's i'm sitting pretty i had a good seat and so but because you're on the field every person who had a field seat had to enter through gate zero I don't know if you're familiar enough with Soldier Field to know what gate zero is, but basically you just have to walk to the diametric other side of Soldier Field. Oh my God. After about 15 to 20 minutes of walking, I had another 15 minutes of trying to walk all the way around to the other side of Soldier Field. And all these people are just flooding through the thing. And at that point I am like, Actually, truly, like dehydrated and exhausted already. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I finally get to my seat, and I like the show said we promptly start at eight. Right. By the time I got to my seat, it was seven fifty-two. So I had eight minutes to spare, and so I don't know where I can get water. I don't yeah. know where if they're even selling food. You have to, like, not even like scoped out the place yet. You don't know where anything is. You were just 
I'm get there. me in my get ass get my ass in my seat. Yeah, where because, your head was because I was like, well, because I literally left my dinner at six thirty. So I was like, I'm gonna have plenty oh of time. Oh my fuck! And so God. by the time he dropped me off, it was almost an hour later uh-huh. because of just city traffic. And then it took me another thirty to forty minutes to walk and finally be in my seat. So I'm actually kind of just ready to go home at that point. I'm like, I can't fucking do this. I'm going to pass out. And so for the first half of the show, I'm like regulating my body strength, basically. I'm like standing up for certain parts of the show. And I'm like, okay, if this is a song that doesn't isn't high energy, I'm just sitting down. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to take, take, the, take the break on this one. Take it sleazy. Take it sleazy. Take it sleazy. Uh, and so about halfway through the show... I am like, I have to get water. Like, I am dying. Of course. Here. Like, of course, I am, yeah. I'm like losing my mind a little bit. It's impacting my enjoyment of the show. Of course. Yeah. 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 Which, not for nothing, it's one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. Just yeah, let's get bro. that on. Let's get let's that on go. the record right now. I cried. The last song he played was Goodbye, Yellowbrick Road, because uh, it's the Farewell, Yellowbrick Road yeah. tour. And when every single person in Soldier Field went, ah, oh, I just started crying. It was so beautiful. But I'm before that I'm dying in my seat. <laughs> I am having such a bad time, and yeah. I'm like have to get water. And I'm in like the middle of my row too, so I don't have an easy exit on either side. Oh boy. So I am eagle-eyed scouring the people walking around. Yeah, because I don't know. I mean, I know they're selling beer, but I'm not trying to get a beer. I'm trying to live. I'm trying exactly. to stay yeah. alive. Yeah. So I see a guy, and I see a like. The water bottle that you have right there, basically. I see that shape in his bucket. Uh-huh. And I bulldozed people <laughs> over in my oh row my God. To, get, <laughs> to get out of the row. I'm to, the juggernaut, <laughs> bitch! <laughs> Today, I normally might be the Joker of L.A. Today, I'm the Joker of Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. And I fucking bulldozed these people. <laughs> ran to the guy, and again... Loud, loud concert. I, of course, yeah. And you're in Soldier Field, which is swallows all that noise yes. too. Yeah. It's not like it's going. It d- directs it back to you. Yeah, yeah. It's bouncing off everything, and th- we are like actually like the middle point of the triangle for where all the major big speakers that are up in the thing is. So it's like yeah. you can't hear jack shit. So I just go up to this guy and go, "Do you have water?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yes," but I couldn't hear him say yes. Uh-huh. So I just said. Do you have water? <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's seven dollars for a bottle of water. And I said, great, I'll take two. Uh, Didn't yeah. care. It had. Yeah, I had yeah, to yeah, yeah. So I give him a twenty. Gives me back my change. I drank a whole liter of water in, I don't know, forty five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, <laughs> I was having the best time of my entire life. The last, there like, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third, I was completely. Conscious, like I was conscious the whole time, but I was completely aware. It brought me back to life immediately. And that last third, so like the last like six normal songs that he did plus the encore, I was like, I didn't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And, you know, he's 75 now. And so he like has had a whole life. And you can, when he talks to you and isn't just like singing and he's like actually speaking to the audience. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, he, like, means what he's saying when he's like, I love doing this. Like, he's not bullshitting. He's like, I love doing this. I'm sad it's ending, but I need to spend the rest of my years on Earth with my family. Yeah. And it was so nice. I was like, yeah, that's great. 
So amazing time. And then it uh, then it was about a ninety minute journey back to this hotel because everybody had to go out the same way we yeah. came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and trying to get to so the, you took you took the train back, right? I did. I took okay. the train back. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm exhausted <laughs> to be to be honest, but amazing. Wouldn't wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm really happy for you. That sounds like a good night, and I'm also glad that you. Uh, so first things first, uh, man plans. God farts. <laughs> what does that mean? That just means that uh, for you know you 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 make your plans. Oh 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 oh. And then God goes. And then God goes. Yeah. <laughs> like a like a little piece of shit. Right all over your God, plans. God yeah. shards on you. <laughs> God goes. I actually. I swear to God. I swear to God. I've been chewing my food, and then he shards all over you. God's awesome, bro. Um. But uh, the other thing I want to think is uh, that's Chicago, baby. I kind of figured as much. I uh, I I don't want to get into it on the show because there's not time for it. But I had a the longest, most miserable commute of my life. I did in the dead of winter earlier this year. Evil, uh, evil, and I all for the crime of wanting to see Introduction by Hong Sang Soo, the Cisco <laughs> Film Center, an hour and twenty minute long movie, and the commute. I think even shorter than that, an hour and seventeen maybe, and the commute back was way longer. And some uh, some fucking Zillennial gave me uh, the the foot me the bird on the on the brown line for no reason. Wow. Sucks. Um, they saw you and they said, this is like an evil man. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so before we get too far ahead, uh, audience, listeners, <laughs> beloved, beloved friends of ours. Beloved folks. Uh, I have not seen Noah in person in almost a year. And uh, I was very I excited. To over see a year, him. right? Over a year. Yeah. Over a year. Yeah. Because it was June, I think, when I was here last. Yes. Um, so I'm happy to see him and I'm happy that... Uh, my kind of uh, schedule in life opened up, and I could spend some real quality time yes, with my buddy. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I did miss him terribly, and <laughs> last year he was kind enough to um, get me some gifts, and this year I wanted to return the favor. Just I was in Michigan recently uh, on family vacation, and I uh, patronized some some of my favorite uh, my favorite bookstore there uh, where where we vacation, and then also a screen printing store. So I wanted to get Noah some presents from there. Thank you, um, Chef. That would um, just... Mike, good to open this right You're good now? to open it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, please, cool. please do. I, I wanted fig- you to open these. Yeah. I figured as much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's no reason you would give it to me right now if you didn't want me to look ashamed right. about what it was yep. about to be in this box. <laughs> All right. First and foremost... So this is a book... <laughs> this is a book uh, titled American Dad <laughs> with a goat on the front... Uh, it actually seems really interesting just from the book cover. I have no familiarity with it, but I just thought that um, you'd appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it it'd be based, good on your shelf. It's based on my favorite show. So. Uh-huh. And then there's something else in here as well. Okay, very cool. It's a shirt. <laughs> yes, bro. <laughs> yes, bro. Okay. Yep. Mason. Mason, you. <laughs> you. <laughs> Mason, you. You snapped with this one, Hunty. Yep. That's what I'll say. Can you see it? Yeah. So, uh, Noah, why don't you describe for the folks at home the, um, what I just, uh, the, the episode art, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mason. Yeah. This is a shirt that is a yellow cloud with white text that says, I'm probably going to fart soon. So, yep. Well, Mason, before we get going, yep. um, you were nice enough to get me a gift, and, uh, I knew that uh, we were going to be doing this, and so I actually got you a little something Okay, as well. nice. Great. <laughs> oh, headphones off. I got you a little 
Oh, fuck yeah. What do we got here? We have uh, from us another from Spencer's Gifts. Another. Actually, there's something else in the in the brown bag. I think it fell out, but it's a little a little small thing. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So Noah got me um, <laughs> 10 pleasure coupons for him. Yeah. Which means uh, I can... These, uh, oh, so it's a, it's a coupon book, basically. Uh, two from Date Given, Date Redeemed Notes. Uh, this coupon is good for uh, one happy uh, massage with a happy ending, uh, one oily hand job, uh, blindfold, uh, one BJ wake-up call, one strip tease. Uh, just really, really practical things for, for the men in your life. Yeah. Uh, thank but you. That, I appreciate that's, that. That's sort of the card that's to the what card. the actual <laughs> gift is. Which, I don't know if this is your size, but I think you would like the message of it. <laughs> <laughs> Evil uh, shirt. It is a medium. I, mediums are comfortable on me. And the, the message... So I got Noah that is... Uh, he can. It's very practical. It, it serves a lot of purposes. Uh, same with my shirt. <laughs> Noah me. It says, uh, vaccinated and ready to fuck. <laughs> In, like, got in no like clock. Yeah, in, like, Helvetica, basically. It's, like... <laughs> it's, it's one of the... Uh, uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, awful shirt that I can't wait to uh, wear around the house. We should um, wear both of our shirts to the concert. Tonight. I'm not wearing my shirt to the concert. I'm just telling you that right now. Uh, yeah, but thank you very much. But chef. you'll wear it to your like wedding and something like uh, that. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to a wedding at the end of the month. I'll, I'll wear it there. Thank you. That's actually smart. <laughs> That's actually good. It's actually good. Showing up to a wedding in not formal wear is one of the most low life things that you can yeah. do. Just not even you, and just just anyone. Yeah. Like if you show up in like a fucking bear's jersey to a wedding, you're like, who's ready to get fucking married? Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you get married in a bear's jersey though, or in like just like some you know, like do those couples get that get married dressed up like Shrek or in camo or Is something? Is that real? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was an old internet thing. I don't want to get into it, but there was this like viral photos of a Damn. couple that got married dressed as Shrek. I don't remember that. I just remember like. The couple's viral first dance. That was the big wedding trend that I remember. Right. Yeah, and then they yeah, did yeah. it on the office, and everyone was like, Jim and Pam, better Jim and Pam are getting married. And then they completely stole their thunder on their wedding day, which actually is fucked up. That is fucked up. Okay. So, so <laughs> this is a story all about, about how we did a podcast, podcast upside down. down and like, like to take a minute, just sit right there. there. I'll tell you how I did the podcast of Chicago Bears. Whop, whop. Whop, whop, whop. Anyway, Mason. Hey, it's been how long? Eight. We did it in March, and now it's August. Five so it's been months? five months. Five what months? you been up to in these five months since we since we talked on pod? Um, uh, burping. Um, uh, well, uh, just, <laughs> sniffing, just kind of just mm, uh, honest, kind of taking it easy. Love that. I don't know. I was just like working and uh, working and chilling, working and chilling, basically, you know, just going to the movies, hanging out with my friends, working hard, concerts, playing hard, getting going to classic, good old classic Chicago taverns and just yes. getting drinking some cheap beer and hanging out with my, my, my drinking friends. 16 old styles drinking at once, 16 old styles. <laughs> Getting doing sc- Chicago handshakes, doing the occasional karaoke. What is a Chicago handshake? Uh, that is a uh, an old style and a shot of Malort. Uh, Ooh. I know friend of the show, Thomas Saradarian, loves Malort. I love his affinity for Malort. Malort is a fun Chicago uh, thing to do that 
Uh, I will recommend if you're if that's your particular way to party, get okay. a Chicago handshake. You got to, or at least a shot of Malort. You got to try it. I thought a Chicago handshake was getting a dry hand job in a public bathroom. That's <laughs> what I thought a Chicago handshake was. But I guess you learned something new every day. At Clark and Lake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the elevator. I said to Mason, Mason, I can't believe how fucking putrid the elevator at Clark and Lake smells. I don't have any experience with it. And then you said, oh, that's interesting. I've never taken it. Never. And I'm like, dude, you fucking live here. I've been here for aggregate like 10 days of my entire life. I, why would I take an elevator at a CTA? Why would I, of, of able body, be able to take a, an elevator at CTA stop? I'm just saying it's available. I took it. I was tired. It was one of the worst smelling rooms I've ever smelled. That's what I'm scared of. I don't want to be in a bad smelling room. I'd rather just get my... It, I, I like to get out of the subway as fast as I can when I'm where I'm at, you know. And yeah. usually, honestly, when I'm getting off at Clark and Lake, I've been getting off there for work, so I'm trying to get out there. I don't have time to wait for an elevator, sit in the stink box... Have it drop me off. We're going to go in the stink box today, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be one of our activities before the show. Um, but speaking uh, of spending time in Chicago. Yes. It's kind of a little n- good natural segue for the topic of the show today, Mason. Segway jester. Segway joker. <laughs> hey, I'm the joker of segways. And then the tweet is like, y'all ever be thinking about this? But then think about, <laughs> but think about my farts. And then it's like 16 million responses. And everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. Every single reply is just, yes. No, that's not what we're doing. No, are you kidding no. me? I said to Mason, hey, when we record this stupid fucking thing, what should we talk about? And originally I was like, what if we did birth year movies? Movies that came out in the birth year of our birth. And then we were like, oh, that's not that interesting ultimately. So we put our heads together and I right. said, Mason, no. what if we, hey. And then I said, hey, what's up? Hey, here. I haven't given you the evil kiss. Can, I, not, can no. I give you the evil kiss right on now? On mic. Okay. On mic. Okay. okay yep. Hold on. <laughs> The evil kiss is like when a baby <laughs> tries to give you a kiss. It doesn't move its lips. It just puts its mouth on you. That was the evil <laughs> kiss. That was an evil kiss. That was an evil kiss. Happening live on pod Happening right live. Now. Oh, my God. Uh, no, huge, huge for the audience. They finally got the evil kiss on pod. The will they, won't they of Noah and Mason has finally come to an end. Epilogue style. So the topic at hand, <laughs> because birth year was a kind of a stinky idea. And would require a lot of a lot of work too. Like I had a whole like long watch list of oh, of damn. things I just didn't have time to fit in for for uh, for An the ep. pod. Yeah, for that for that particular idea. So you were like, "What if? What if we do something a little little different? A little different?" And I said, "I've spent not from L.A., but I've spent an aggregate of eighteen months yeah. in L.A." Uh, but I've been in Chicago. I've visited Chicago now for the second time, and I've spent about. By the end of this trip, it'll be about 10 days right. of, of time spent here. So yeah. I think you get a good feel for some place if you spend like about that time. Maybe not if you live there, but you get a sense. Yeah. And you, my friend, are from the Chicago area from your whole life, but you lived in L.A. Yes. for three and a half years. For three and a half years. So I said to Mason, dude... What where's we, my car? I said, dude, where's my shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I said that. I actually said that to him. It was fucked up, and I'm sorry I did that. Anyway, uh, I, <laughs> I, I said, dude, where's my fuck? 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 I said, dude. Dude. <laughs> where's my car? That's what I, said, I actually said to him. I said, dude, what if we both did a list 
of your favorite, this is me speaking, your favorite L.A. movies Mm -hmm. and my favorite Chicago movies. Mm -hmm. And what did you say to me again? That's a great idea. (laughs) Oh, Mason, I love your little kissies when you give me a little kissy. I love it. So that's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing today. Mason, how, hey, dude. Dude. Where's my question? It's right here. How would you describe living in L.A. or just L.A. in general to someone who is going there for the first time? Well, that was what I thought about when my, when I was making my list, actually. Really? That specific yeah, idea? Yeah, it came to mind that it was like, and this is fairly recently, too, just because I've been having a lot of just kind of other shit that was taking up brain space. Um, I was still make, crafting the list, you know, as a creative project. But when I had finally had time like in space to like, think about it, I'm like, what would the movies be that I would pass off to somebody who's going to be going to L.A. for the first time? Or how would oh, I wow. describe this place? What's like the, the broad, like where I'm at right now today, August 6th, 2022, what's the, uh, what was the, what are the colors in that particular palette? Um, so I was thinking about that actually, and I was like, if I, ultimately I was like, then that means that my number one has to be like the movie that I think encapsulates that whole thing for me. Sure. Um, so put a pin in that thought. Okay. We will get to that then. I guess we, that is what we will discover. Yes. Throughout the thing. Yes. And I guess just to give my, my answer for my respective list. Yes. Uh, I think I literally said this exact thing when we recorded in person the last time back in June of uh, 2021. But Chicago, to me, as someone who has grown up and lived on the West Coast their their entire life, Chicago feels like a what I imagine to be a throwback city. This is a place that feels like you're kind of stepping back in time a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Not not, not in like a bad sense, just in like, Oh, things move a little differently here than what I'm used to. Right. And it feels older. Yeah. In that sense. Or literally even from an architectural standpoint. Yeah. The city has a lot of remaining remnants from the early 20th century in its architecture and the thoughtfulness of current day buildings, buildings that are more modern. How does that interact with the older buildings? Mm -hmm. You know? So you have a new meeting old, and I think that's kind of where that throwbackness comes from is like, oh, there's a long-standing tradition here of these are the institutions, but there's also new stuff pushing up against mm-hmm. it. And in LA, I don't feel that as much because I just feel like everything is either it's old and we ignore it, or it's brand new and it's destroying the history. Uh, yes, I think that there is a... a um, the the that kind of like conflict between like old and new is is really like seeped into the bones of I think both cities actually. Yes. Uh, and and tri- it's being handled in different ways. It is being handled in different ways. Like there's um, just in the loop, um, for example, where uh, Noah has been spending a lot of time recently. You still mm-hmm. have like buildings from like the 1920s, like that people are like yeah, they fully operational, fully operational that people are in. Like they're not they're not empty shells. Now, th- does the city uh, uh, do its fair share of destroying um, beautiful and maybe historic things? Of course, but that's also been the history for the last 50, 60, 70 years or whatever the fuck. Um, but I will agree that with Los Angeles, it seems like there's consciously different areas where pockets of things that are like kind of old or maybe not as. Um, aesthetically pleasing are allowed, quote unquote, yeah. uh, and like the kind of newer side of things um, are are in in that particular 
particular space, but... And I think in L.A., and again, yeah. I could be wrong, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong for Chicago, but I think in L.A., it is so obviously a class divide. Yeah. It is, like, L.A. is, of the places I've been, maybe with the exception of some, like, places in the South, Yeah, the most, like... This is where the people who have money live, and this is where the people who don't live. Yeah, in Chicago, it's more um, a race divide. Like, it's is not it? an. Indi- it's not a. It is. Milwaukee, I think, is the most, like, divided city in America like that, but Chicago uh, yeah. is, like, pretty damn close. Um, not that it's not a diverse place, uh, but there's. Very clear, diverse place. Yeah, there's clear divisions and clear also um, parts of the city where, uh, you know, it, it's the race divide is sure. a little more. Which is, you know, tied up with class and, and all this other kind of stuff. So it is. That's that's an element of it as well, but I agree that you are more aware of just class divisions in particular in Los Angeles, or maybe in both. I don't know. They are the same and also different. They are the same and also different. And as someone who has spent some time here and is more of a outsider looking into the city as opposed yeah. to maybe someone who spends the majority of their time in the city or in the surrounding area, yeah. Um, for me, it's like this is this city. Milwaukee, other cities that I'm going to call Rust Belt cities, even though the Rust Belt isn't really something that really exists, I feel like, anymore, in the way that we think about it. Like in the Midwest or Lake Cities or whatever. We'll call it the Great Lakes. Yeah, the Great Lakes cities. The Great Lake cities. And I'm going to extend that all the way to, like, through to Pittsburgh and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything where in that Great Lakes division. There is a camaraderie between strangers in those cities. And I felt it last night at Elton John. I felt it pretty much every day that I've been here, including last year as well. There's a camaraderie that exists in Chicago, Milwaukee, what I imagine a lot of the like Cleveland and stuff like that, yeah. Michigan, where people are just a little more willing to have an experience with a stranger that doesn't feel forced. Like it feels like, mm. hey, you know, like we're like in this together right now. Yeah. We're at the bar. We're watching the game. We are friends in this moment because yeah. we are both watching the Bucks game and they're about to win the finals or we are watching the Cubs and we love the Cubs and it doesn't have to be just sports. But I don't feel that in LA. It feels like everyone is living their own little thing and there is a little bit more privacy, but that's, as an outsider, something that I observe to be a key difference between West Coast and these sort of Great Lakes regions is hmm. people feel, it feels like there's a little bit more of a, whether it's impromptu or otherwise, a community. In Chicago? In Chicago yeah. and just other, like, Milwaukee as well, but, yeah. like, yeah, Chicago yeah, yeah. as well, yes. I think, yeah, I think that there's a, a there's definitely a pride of those places that is, uh, uh, can be characteristic and easy to, not that people in, from L.A. aren't proud to be there, but it is, like, I don't, people they wear get, it on their chest out here. They wear here. it on their chest out here, yeah. They love getting their... Uh, and when I was in L.A., I was mighty tempted to get, like, a Chicago tattoo just to be like, this. don't don't ever fucking forget where I'm from, you know? And now I'm just like, <laughs> well, maybe it'd be easier just to live here. I was born in the Vienna Sausage I Factory. <laughs> you merely adopted the old stuff. What the fuck was that? Uh, you bailed on it, Mason. I'm the bane of Chicago. Yeah, bane of my fucking existence. That's right. Um, you know that's right. You know. Uh, well, yeah, I guess you already talked about it a little bit. My other question before we get into it was, what were some of the challenges you faced putting the list together? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, it's more, I wanted to think, I thought a lot about um, how uh, my relationship to that city before I moved there 
and then like kind of as I was living there a little bit and then have having lived there for that period of time what like kind of resonates still sure um trying to think about things that way it was a pretty difficult list I had to leave out a lot of um just like kind of personal favorites and just stuff that I thought was like cool just to like that did you have the a similar experience with yours well it was actually i think we had opposite experiences because of the pools that we were drawing from yeah there is a overabundance of la movies yeah and there is a number of chicago films but not to the degree that there are la movies right 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 and right. especially good chicago movies and good la movies yeah it's it's not the same no and no, so no. we had i think we had unique challenges where for me i was like okay I have 15 slots. I think I know what's going to go in the 15 slots. Yeah. It's just a matter of what's at 15, what's at 8, what's at 7, what's at number 1. Sure. Whereas I think you were like, not you specifically, but just your predicament is, how the fuck am I going to pick 15? Exactly. Yeah. So, I think that's where you and I had a little bit of a different experience, but enough enough horsing around. Enough... <laughs> <laughs> We got 10 list spots, five honorable mentions. You guys know how this works. The only rule is that they have to feature prominently the city in question. Yes. The only rule. Mason. Hey. Give us your 15 through 11. So my 15 through 11, uh, I wanted to have a very special shot slot for Tom Anderson's video essay, Los Angeles Plays Itself, and that is my number 15. Great movie. Uh, great movie, really entertaining and informative, and just uses the craft and, and language of filmmaking to make a documentary about Los Angeles playing itself, you know, uh, how it, it how the city's used in in the history of motion pictures um very good at number 14 i had a uh one of my very favorite hard-boiled noirs that is uh integrated into i think the architecture of like kind of post uh war um <clears throat> or mid 50s i should say los angeles that's kiss me deadly um great little uh punchy noir there number 13 i have robert townsend's hollywood shuffle okay which is a really really funny um uh, satire about being a working black actor yeah. in Hollywood. Very pointed satire. Very pointed satire. It's uh, fucking awesome. I would really strongly recommend uh, tracking that down. Uh, I need to watch more Robert Townsend movies in, in particular because uh, I really like that movie. Uh, number 12, uh, Nightcrawler. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, really fucking creepy. Um, one of my favorites just like uh, uh, right before I moved to L.A. I was watching that movie a lot and then I ended up living in and around Koreatown where they shot the uh, big the finale, uh, finale, very slimy movie uh, that I love. Uh, number eleven. Before, don't, before you move on, yes. Nightcrawler. I remember that movie comes out in 2014. Yes, I'm seven. I think I'm just had turned. Se- I had been 17 in 2014. Ooh, okay. And so that was yeah. the first year that I was able to go see rated R movies by myself. Oh fuck! And that movie was one of them. I think, like, I, as far as I remember, yeah, that's one of my, okay. yeah. whether it was actually one of the first or whether yeah. it was just my memory of having seen it first. And I remember because. There was like three people in the theater. Yeah, dude. It was just me and like two other older like guys, like yeah. just like just like mid fifties guys who. That's that R rated movie crowd. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> just the three or four dudes who are just all sitting as far away from each other as yeah, possible. Yeah, the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> and if you sit in the middle, you absolutely you get your dick chopped off. <laughs> but I just it's one of those things where we were like would all watch the movie. And that's a that's an intense movie. It is. Yeah. Uh, and when at the end of it, I stand up. I'm seventeen. The other guys stand up. And we all just kind of go. Thanks. <laughs> Just little, little head nod. Thank you. 
and then we walk away. Uh, I remember that movie being at 17 and having to think about starting to get like jobs and stuff. Yeah. To me, that movie, at the time, I thought, oh, this is a movie about how hard it is to get a job. And I was kind of right because it is about capitalism yeah. like, at the end of the it's day. It's about how in order to, you know, quote unquote, get ahead, you have to be like kind of a ruthless animal. Like, you have to you be have, a fucking sociopath. You have to be a sociopath, yeah. It, like, it, it's very direct about that message, um, but... It's like I think it's a, like kind of a cla- an example of a classic noir in that way. Like you watch like old noir movies, and sometimes they are very forward with what the fucking message that you're supposed yes. to take away from this is. Um, not to its detriment. That movie really just means a lot to me. I think it's really fucking cool. Uh, and number eleven, this is a recent watch of mine uh, that's just been on my mind since I watched it. Uh, and I like I would if I rewatched it, I could probably find a spot for it in my ten. Uh, but it's the 1976 ensemble comedy Car Wash. Oh, okay. um, which takes place just on a uh, the corner of I think Sixth and Rampart uh, in a car wash, and it's just about the a day in the working life of the people that either um, you know come through that place um, or are on the job. Uh, just a really fun like kind of um, hangout movie, and I think like the fact that it's you know Los Angeles is so car centric. Not that you know in Chicago people have cars, but it's not a tra- like a car city in that way. Sure. Um, as much as the 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 these fucking city uh, tries to make it that way. Um, the whole West Coast and L.A. specifically. Yeah. I mean, the, the car culture of Southern California is nuts. I think that this is like, and with, with that in mind, this was, um, I had a couple different, like, I guess, car movies in that slot, um, you know, being like Drive or uh, just stuff that was really hard for me to ultimately leave off. Uh, but the, just the kind of like um, look at the, uh, you know, when washing a car was like a job, like not that there aren't workers at a car wash, but just this movie kind of takes place as that sort of working it takes place and there's there's this like kind of tension to the the, the car wash that like it's gonna get raised like sold to the the highest oh, bidder yeah. for like a parking lot or something basically or his as as that yeah. style of car wash becomes more and more obsolete exactly and yeah. I think if you go to that intersection now it's like a, a, a you know a strip mall or something you yeah know? Or it's like one of those classic examples but um, is Richard Pryor in that he is he plays one of the um he's so fucking funny dude. he's so fucking funny he's really great in that movie he plays a um like a a rich uh, evangelical preacher. Oh, uh, he teaches okay. like a prosperity gospel or something like that. And uh, the Pointer Sisters are like his uh, like kind of backup group that's always trailing around him. Um, he's really funny in that Carlin's in it too. You know, I got the DVD from the library, and it's Pryor and Carlin, and they both have just like bit parts. Like it's weird. I mean, that's probably how they had to sell it yeah, at the time, yeah. or like maybe just like someone. Because if you look at the poster from the time, it's uh, just like kind of a crowd. It's a really cool poster, actually. This is just the one that's on Letterboxd. Car wash, Professor Irwin Corey. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's a that's very seventies. Yeah, very seventies. But if you're selling the DVD, you have to sell those guys. But um, I think it's worth a watch. Is all I'm trying to say. Uh, Swag. It's worth a watch. That's that's my honorable mention. And you said that the car wash is on Sixth and Rampart, or that's I think where it's it was. It was, to be? A, it was on Rampart, I believe. It okay. was like in that part of like so that's like that's, East LA. Yeah, that's like or, that's like te- I don't know if that's Echo Park or like it's like bordering Koreatown. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like right on the border of I Echo Park. Be Rampart. And I mean, it might also be the neighborhood, but Rampart Village. Yes. They have so many, it's so crazy how like there are so many neighborhoods in LA. Yeah. And they have the little signs that are like historic Filipino town or yeah. Angelino Heights. And nobody says that they live in those. It's like, I live in Echo Park. I live in K-Town. I live in Silver. Like there's so many little, even like sub yeah. neighborhoods and no one says that they live there right. because no one knows what the fuck it is. Because people don't know what the hell's going on. Okay, Mason, here's Hello. the, here, you ready to get a little mad at me for my honorable No, mentions? no, no. I'm so curious. I am so curious. You're going to get a little mad at me, I think. 
Um, so coming in at number 15. Yes. I guess how I put here, the, the two things that I considered uh-huh. when I was putting my list together. Yeah. Obviously, the rule being having how prominently does this feature Chicago yeah. for me and the city and the this place as a character. That was one of the considerations. And then the other consideration was just how much do I like this movie? Yeah. You know, of like I, how how much do I like it and where am I willing to put it on my list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this movie is a very interesting example of that because I don't love this movie. Like I don't love it nearly as much as other people do. Yeah. But it does do a very good job of showcasing Chicago and not even mostly like downtown. Right. And so for that reason, my number 15 1981 Michael Mann Thief. I had to put oh, it on yeah, I course. had to put it on the list because yeah. it does do a great job and the last 30 minutes of that movie are all-time great. Yeah. filmmaking and storytelling. Yeah. It's hard for me to be interested in the stuff that kind of leads up to that as much and you might be saying well you've just never seen it in the theater well I actually fucking have seen it in the theater because Dustin T and I went to go see it at the New Bev when they were doing a double feature of that and Straight Time which was a very cool billing I'd never seen Straight Time before really really I've still never seen it under very underrated good Dustin Hoffman performance in that movie like absolutely worth a watch it's good it goes in a direction you don't. I didn't expect it to go in. It starts out one way and then kind of goes another way, and I don't think for the movie's benefit. But Thief is just one of those where I'm like, yeah, I have to respect it for what it does for this list and what it does for the city of Chicago and how it shows the people who live in those parts of town because yeah. yeah. they are so they're grimy, but they're also there's like a. There's like a, almost like, I don't, oh, this is going to sound weird, but like a softness to their griminess a little bit. Like, I don't know, like, they're tough, but it's like, I don't almost, I almost like don't take them seriously in their toughness. Like, I know deep down like they're the like Art a good Carney person. character, like the, yes. yeah, 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 he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the guys who he like, the James Conn character like deals with and yeah. stuff, like who are like the intro like bad guys or something yeah. like the tough guys. I'm like, you guys aren't really tough. Like, you guys are probably sweet deep down and everything. But it's a it's it's a very it's it, it sets the tone for a lot of the kinds of themes that Michael Mann wants to explore later on. Uh, it doesn't fully hit for me, but I had to include it at the number fifteen slot because it is a seminal Chicago film. I just yeah. couldn't personally put it any higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number fourteen. Once again, I know you love this one, Mason. Uh, this is from the year two thousand by a extremely interesting director who doesn't get I think get the props that he deserves a lot of the time. This is High Fidelity. Fuck yeah, brother. Directed by Stephen Frears. Fuck yeah, brother. Stephen Frears is a little bit of a chameleon. A little bit, yeah. He's, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that he's a British director adapting a British book and chooses to set it in Chicago in the early 2000s, though. Yeah. That's really cool to me. It's interesting that he, that that, that's the, that that's the vibe. Yeah. That that's the mood. Uh, And I remember I had watched this when I was like in ninth grade. Because I think I was on a Jack Black kick. Yeah. And I just wanted to see other Jack Black roles. And he fucking crushes this movie. Yeah. He, like, bends it over his knee and says, like, he's, I'm just going to steal every scene. Yeah, he's the bright star of that of that movie, I, I performance-wise, I think. He is yeah. the Mercedes Valuable player for me. Yeah. In the movie. And I I just I just love him in this movie. The um, John Cusack character, Lil Grading. <laughs> Lil Grading, but that's kind of the yeah, point. Yeah, he, it's... It, 
uh, I watched it in in my uh, in my the yard at my old place last yeah. year, and my takeaway was like, this is a movie about a shitty guy who learns that he's actually the problem, and like, absolutely tries to take a couple steps in the right like the direction of just being right with him himself, basically. And that's and that's why you end up following because you, you start to see him realize that yeah. throughout the movie. Because he's really a bastard in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's a prick. With, yeah. If I worked for someone like that, I'd be out the door. Yeah. You know, like he's a prick. Uh, but Jack Black's character knows how to handle it really well. And then yeah. what's the name? What, do you know the actor, the other guy? Todd Luiso. He's so good in that he's movie. He's awesome. He is, he's the he's the Zevon of that movie. Yeah. Um, but I had to get it at number 14. Uh, you get a little, you get a little Wicker Park action. It's a great West Side. It's a great, yeah, kind of Northwest Side movie. Uh, and a lot of the places that they are, uh, that they showcase, uh, don't exist anymore. I know. You know the um the lounge that he sees. I believe that the lounge that he sees. Um, uh, uh, uh fucking. Uh, I know who you're name? talking Lisa about. Lisa Bonet sing yeah. at. Uh, that's I believe that's Lounge Axe, which was a uh, that's where Wilco performed a lot when they were coming up. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, great old uh, Chicago venue that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But it's Same. cool that, that 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 exists on film in high fidelity, in my opinion. And then you get that great shot. I love that shot of him standing on the bridge, and you yes. see the river behind him and all the tall buildings. Yes, yes, yes. Do you know what bridge that is? Uh, I don't. I don't. I do know. I love he lives in Uptown, like off the Wilson stop. And I know that because that used to be my uh, my second train stop in college. Oh, yeah. um, and Second red line stop, I should say. And he works in like Wicker Park. Yeah. And I just love imagining that commute for him. Yeah, really probably. Cool. You love watching him get on. What would that be? What bus would that be? I don't know if there's a bus that would take him uh, from where he lives, supposedly, to uh, to work. There might be like... You could go a, uh, maybe like the Clark to fucking uh, North Avenue. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say Avenue. that too. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. I yeah, think something like that. Yeah, probably. Who cares? All right, number thirteen. Who, who gives a fuck? <laughs> number thirteen. Uh, this is actually this. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna give you the evil kiss again. If you be quiet, we're gonna talk. <laughs> number thirteen. Yep. This is actually one of your favorite movies of all time. I just don't like it as much, I think, as you, but it's still a good movie. And that's number 13 is The Fugitive, directed by Andrew Davis, bro. Huge movie for me. Watched this in college for the first time and then really had a hankering to be to rewatch it, like, even before we decided to do this. Yeah. Um, before we decided to do this topic for the for the show. And it's just like, extre- like, to me, this is like the epitome of like, this is a solid ass movie. Yeah. Like, it's... Well made, it's got really good performances, it's shot well, you get a great view of Chicago, but nothing to me is like, holy fuck, like it's just everything is done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just really like solid and like, there's not a lot of cracks in it, it just to me doesn't like soar above to like a place where I'm like awe-inspired by something content-wise or something form-wise, Right. but it is like... The epitome of like a solid action movie. Yeah, and that's why I have such a fondness for it. Uh, it just imprinted on me at a young enough age where I sure. was just like, "This is just going to be something." It's <laughs> Roger Ebert writing about La Dolce Vita, but me writing about the fugitive. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I watch this movie and I think, "Is there such a simpler life <laughs> than being chased by the one-armed man?" But Tommy Lee Jones is like all-time good at that. Oh movie. my god, best supporting actor, Tommy Lee Jones, The Fugitive, nineteen ninety-three, and also. 
your 2019 Halloween costume. I also my 2019 Halloween costume. When we had, we had only known each other for two months, two months, two and a half months, two and, and a half months. That was around the time where I was like, it is time for me to get my little butts <laughs> out of here. And you knew it and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> and then you said, I'm going to tell him during an episode. No, of I didn't this tell show. you during an episode. I texted you. Oh, you did? I texted you. Yes. Oh, maybe you did. I'm remembering because I remember when we recorded with Sunny. You... I told Sonny right away. I told you ahead of time, and then I told Sonny that day, basically. Well, I remember because I will have have gone back and listened to episodes now that okay. the show is like over. And I remember episode. I think it's episode fourteen starts with you just speaking quietly because you're like, "Can you go let Sonny in?" And I'm like, "Oh, sure. That's weird as fuck that he's asking me to let his oh, and then that's his me friend telling in. the audience that I'm leaving. Yes, yeah. okay, okay. And then and you and you don't fully get to it before we walk back in, and so it's like this really big buildup. <laughs> and then you and me and Sunny like are walking in, like laughing and like hanging out. And that was the first time I had met him. And you're like, hey guys, I'm just telling them that I'm gonna leave. And that's how you told them. That that's how you told the audience you were gonna leave. It's like I was just actually getting ready to say that I'm gonna leave L.A. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a very no one's ever accused me of getting to the point quickly. Hey, if they did, they would have to go hang at the hang, <laughs> hang at the hang in the town square for perjury. Anyway, uh, you guys all know the fugitive. I don't really have to fucking sing, talk about it anymore. Number twelve, two thousand two. This movie won Best Picture, Mason. <laughs> And what more Chicago of a movie can you get than a movie called? Give him the old razzle dazzle, razzle dazzle <laughs> Chicago. Chicago. Directed by Rob Marshall, baby. Directed by Rob Marshall, yes. Haven't seen this movie in a number of years, and it gets a lot of hate. And I think this movie gets a lot of hate because it won Best Picture, and there were mm. some other things that year that were not. Puts a target on its back. It does. But this is a very good, even I would say at times really good movie musical. Yes. And I think sets the tone for the new millennium in terms of like, oh, you want to just adapt a musical from stage to screen and you're not trying to do like a Hedwig thing. Yeah. Like you're just trying to do like something that is has a little more mass appeal. Yeah. This is how you do it. And yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. sort of sets the bar for that. But the other nominees for Best Picture that year were The Pianist. Ooh. The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Hours, oh okay, and Gangs of New York, and Chicago wins Best Picture. That's uh, that is a crazy. No one knew how to make a movie after nine eleven, is what we're what we're realizing. <laughs> everyone was like, everyone's like, oh, I'm so the sad Hours about is nine- such a depressing movie. Like it's just so. Uh, have you seen The Hours? I didn't finish it. Yeah, I it's turned very it off. depressing. Um, so I mean, The Pianist is in. Tense as fuck to watch. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched that movie since I was like, I think I watched that in eighth grade because I was like, I need to learn more about my Jewish heritage. <laughs> and so I watched that and Schindler's List like within very close together. And I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> Just like, holy fuck, like off the bat. Fuck, yeah. It's crazy. And I yeah. need to rewatch The Pianist. But uh, probably of those, I mean, it's the classic Academy thing of giving it to the least like offensive one yeah, of the yeah, bunch. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very having Oscars a Martin movie. Scorsese movie in there, which is like, also, like I love that it's, uh, it's uh, Chicago is also you know obviously a period movie because it takes place in like the 30s or, or 40s or whatever, and it's like comparatively a much like cleaner quote unquote looking movie than Gangs of New York. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, Gangs of New York is, is the 20s. so messy, so disgusting. Yes. you can like smell that movie. Yes, um, I'm smelling it right now. Okay, that's me actually. That's my <laughs> fart. That's my fart, Mason. I can't understand your fart. What number fart. is this? 
This is 12. Okay. Uh, but this is like a, I just, it's fun. This is yeah. like a really fun movie. John C. Riley as Amos doing the Mr. Cellophane number. Great performance. Really, yes. yes. He was nominated for an Oscar. It's the only Oscar he's never been nominated for, and the man should be nominated literally every Every year. single time that he graces us with his. He should have been nominated for Dewey Cox. And for the Fred Munster character in Licorice Pizza for one the one second that he's on screen. Uh, Rob Marshall also credited as the main choreographer yes. for the movie, I which believe, is yes. very impressive that he was able to balance those two things because this is a dance-heavy movie. Very dance-heavy movie. Uh, the Cell Block Tango is probably the standout like, musical number. Coming. He had it coming. He had it coming. He didn't smell my fucking ass. <laughs> and if he had been there and smelled my asshole, he would have still done it because he would have gone insane. <laughs> I wonder how it holds up now. <laughs> it's basically what I'm is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number twelve, and number eleven, 1980. Believe that this was this person's directorial debut, and I actually had it in the top ten, but moved it down mm. partially due to recency bias, but also because I thought about it and I'm like, I can't really remember moments from this in the way that I can remember moments from the other thing. Yeah. And that might, again, be recently biased, but I also think it has something to do with just my enjoyment of it more. Yeah. But number 11 is still a great movie. Like I said, it was in the top 10 literally until like an hour or two ago. This is Ordinary People. Oh, sure. Directed by Robert Redford. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is Chicago, if not the people in it? And you can't talk about it without talking about the suburbs because a lot of people live in the suburbs. A lot of people do live in the suburbs. And this is a classic... North Shore Suburbs. Wilmette, I believe, right? Or F- is it Wilmette? I think it's Wilmette. Highland Park, maybe? Gotta double check. There is a Highland Park in Chicago. Okay. You gotta check that. Gotta check. But I don't really, like I said, I, I, I don't remember the movie as much as I do remember some of these others, but watching the environments and watching, you know, the people that interact out in these Suburbs, the, the not, literally the architecture of some of these houses, this and some other movies that I'm going to be talking about here, made me want to spend time last summer when I was driving from Milwaukee to Chicago proper. Like I spent like two or three hours just in the North Shore suburbs going yeah. and looking at houses. How does the how are it's these a, neighborhoods yeah, set up? They're yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's amazing. And this movie has great performances in it. Timothy Hutton and Judd Hirsch, any scene that they have together is probably the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Judd Hirsch's performance as the therapist is unbelievable. And this is another movie that, I don't know if it gets hate, because I do think people respect that this is the a really good movie, but here are the uh, here are the other Best Picture nominees for This is one of those, like, kind of, you, you're, uh, it's a pick of the litter kind of year, well, right? It, it is in the sense that, I, of the movies that I've seen, all of them are good, and I've seen three of the five, including Ordinary People. Okay. But there's one in here to me that, in retrospect, how do you not give it to this movie? Yeah. So we have Ordinary People. Yeah. Coal Miner's Daughter, mm-hmm. which I've never seen. Never seen it either. David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Roman Polanski's Tess, which I've never seen. I've never seen that either. And Martin Scorsese's Raging Death Bull. Raging Bull year, yeah. How do you not fucking give it to Raging Bull? In hindsight, that is so silly. So silly. They're, ridiculous. They're ridiculous for that one. Um, Were you able to figure out which suburb it was? I'm looking it up. I'm, I'm looking up. I think it's Lake Forest. I think they filmed in Lake Forest High School. I think they shot all over the place because there's not one answer that yeah. I'm getting. Uh, okay. Before we get into the top tens. But it's a smattering of those suburbs. Yes. And that made me, that this movie and some other movies made me want to go, huh, I wonder what those places are like and... It's just a really, this is a really, I mean, the story of ordinary people 
about family and learning to accept each other. It's it's timeless. So yes, you gotta love ordinary people. That's my number eleven. We can get into the top ten here. Mason, give us those. Give me the top ten. I gotta pee so bad. Back to I'm taking all my clothes off and I'm shitting in the yard. <laughs> Welcome back to I take every shit naked. <laughs> Welcome back to I Piss in My Own Ass, the podcast. Welcome back to I Pissed on Your Shit. Uh, That's what it smelled like in the Clark Lake elevator. All right. All right. All right. I'm not kidding. It smelled no, like someone took a all shit right. and pissed on it. Uh, we're back. I feel so relieved. We are going into the top 10. Uh, I'm actually going to call an audible on my top 10. <laughs> on my number 10, at least, because I have another movie here. And in the process of us talking, I realized I want to have a different movie there. So my number 10 is. Um, uh, John Singleton's Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood. Uh, that's one of the first movies I watched on Netflix streaming. Where there you, you could do that. Um, and that's a movie that kind of, I guess, opened up my idea of Los Angeles. You know, sure. for the most part, because I think I just like you. You gather. Had you been to Los Angeles before seeing it? No, no, no. This was when I was in maybe 14 or 15. Okay. Um, And it was really just a moment where I felt really, um, and also like connected to characters in a way, uh, or in a very special kind of uh, movie magic way, Uh, you know, connecting to these. I think I watched it, actually maybe it was a little later, maybe it was when I was like maybe a junior or senior in high school, and thinking about like what my next moves and, and what I want to do with my life, and this is a movie about that and just how the environment of South Central L.A. makes that um you know, it does not afford the same privileges that someone growing up in the and around the suburbs of Chicago gets. Uh, it was really uh, I haven't seen it since high school. Actually, I also have uh, John Singleton is a huge blind spot filmmaker for me. Uh, I followed along with the Blank Check film, uh, the miniseries on him last year, and it's just like, damn, this is a guy that I really got to give some time to. Uh, but that movie was really, um, I guess, uh, a really important movie for me when I was just about to go into film school. Uh, he was also so young when he made it too. Yeah, he was like the youngest person I think still nominated for the best director at the Academy Awards, and it's just yeah. in my mind just just how the it, it's so impressive that he made that made that movie when he was so young. You know, like it's, yeah, I think he was twenty one when he was nominated yeah. for it, which probably means he was twenty when he was making it's it. It's such a strong just like bit of of filmmaking and, and art, I I think, and uh, it's my number ten. I would I would have to give that one a rewatch because I have seen it yeah and I can't, I think I watched it in college or maybe just after college yeah um so it's been an, it's been a number of years since I have seen it but I remember liking it I do remember thinking at the time that it felt a little bit after school especially at times in in terms sure. of its tone but I think I would feel differently about it if I watched it again I think I would be viewing it a little bit differently than I think how I viewed it back then having yeah. now actually spent serious time in Los Angeles as well. Yeah. That would definitely change my perspective of how it was done. But you cannot deny that someone that young doing something like that is pretty remarkable. Lawrence Fishburne is Furious Styles. Just want to shout out. That's probably my Mercedes valuable player. Uh, He's great. Yeah. Ice Cube's great in the movie too. Yeah. Doughboy. Yeah. 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 (sighs) He's great. He's like, everyone's like, oh, Ice Cube's going to do a movie. And then he's like, oh, he's actually really fucking good at this movie. Yeah, he's it's actually, actually awesome. really, yeah, he's really, aw- it, it's, uh, it's a great movie. So that's your number 10? That's my number 10, yes. Oh, Mason. Noah. I got a number 10 that, similar. Yeah. Not exactly. Okay. The same. Yeah. But similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that I don't think a lot of people have seen. 
but I know you've seen it. Mm-hmm. At least you are saying you do on Letterboxd. You might be lying about that. Uh, but this is a movie that I heard about for the first time when I had a friend that I no longer really, we haven't spoken in a long time, so I wouldn't really say this, this person's Well, because he's friend. busy being president of the United States. <laughs> it's Joe Biden. Joe <laughs> Biden went to Columbia your College, Chicago. President Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I love Brandon. He's one of my best boys. We hung out all the your time. Brandon. <laughs> he told me a lot about the Great Depression and <laughs> what it was like to drive a Model T. And I said, oh, that's very cool. I'm going to show you Fortnite and freak you out. <laughs> I'm going to show you how you can face scan yourself into Fortnite and have you crap your, have you fart in front of the Duchess of Cornwall. <laughs> Dude, rock. Uh, yeah, my friend is actually Donald Trump. Oh. <laughs> Donnie T. Oh, have you seen his building though? I love it. It's so good, Mason. <laughs> my building, Mason. My building is so cool, Mason. That's my Trump. Anyway, this movie yes. was Donald. Uh, Joe Biden told me about this movie because he went to Columbia College of Film, a Columbia College of Chicago Film School, and he told me that they watched this movie at the Columbia College uh, in one of their first film classes and kind of told oh, me, cool. oh, actually, this Chicago actually has a rich cinematic history because yeah. pre-Hollywood, people thought, oh, maybe this would be, would be like, you know, the place to do it. Uh, and this movie is came out long after everyone had already moved to Hollywood anyway. But this is just a really fun movie that ultimately, like, got me in a way that I didn't expect. And this is 1975's Cooley High. Great flick. And I watched it. Great picture. I watched it for this episode because I hadn't seen it. And I was like, I should watch this I got a couple of those in mind. Oh, okay. Me too. Uh, Don't talk when I'm talking. Uh, (laughs) Never again. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Ah, just kidding. Wink. Um... The all the, the ensemble of this movie is so good. Yeah. And they're largely people that I don't know if they really went on to do a lot else outside of this. Like I just mm-hmm. I couldn't say. But this feels like, oh, we're watching a lot of really talented young actors at play here. Garrett Morris as the teacher yes. is great. Yes. Uh, my Mercedes Vival player is definitely Glenn Turman, though, who plays Preach, who's yes. kind of the lead guy in the movie. And you get some great you get you go all over Chicago in this movie. You go to Navy Pier, you go to Lincoln Park Zoo, spend a lot of time in Cabrini Green. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great one of those movies that a lot of people I don't even know if if they've heard of this movie, let I, alone have seen. Yeah, I um I really admire I really admire and appreciate that movie for everything you just said. I think the story and the film itself is is very affecting and powerful. And I also like that it does it was shot on location in like seventies Chicago. Yeah. Um because uh and I really appreciate that the the teacher of your friend showed that to them in class. They didn't show us that in at, at my freshman year film teacher didn't show us that uh movie. And I kinda wish they did because yeah, you, like you said, Chicago has like a rich sort of independent film scene and this is I think uh, so I was just looking up Glenn Turman because Glenn Turman is uh, on the leftovers and is very good on oh, the shit. leftovers as well. Okay, yeah. so uh, he has had a, a quite a career actually, but I would really recommend Cooley High if you're looking for. Um, I think that's a per- that's that's a, a perfect choice, Chef. If you like, yeah. If you like Dazed and Confused, you will like this movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not the same type. Of, it's not the same, but it has. I can see Richard Linklater watching this and being like. Oh, I can steal this. I can steal this. Yeah. I can steal this and then do my own thing in Austin with it. Yeah. This is like that. And then the third act is like, holy shit. I can't believe that they just went for it like that. And then they do. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is a extreme. It's a coming of age friendship movie. And that final scene without spoiling what it is. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. So, number 10, Cooley High. Mason, 
Noah. What's number num uh, uh Mason? I'm ready for your number nine, Mason. So my number nine is uh, one I watched for this podcast actually, uh, because it was uh, um, I was doing a little research to help me try to fill in some blind spots using the movies that are in Los Angeles plays itself to be like, what's something that I uh, uh, would enrich my palette of Los Angeles and Los Angeles movies? Uh, so I rewatched I watched this for the first time a couple days ago. I was really taken by it. Uh, Kent McKenzie's The Exiles. Are okay. you familiar with this one? Uh, no, actually. I don't think I okay. am. Okay, it's on the Criterion channel, which is how I've watched it. <laughs> Thank you. It is uh, one hour and 12 minutes long, and it um, is about a group of uh, three young um, Native Americans who are living in the Bunker Hill area of okay. Los Angeles in the 60s. So Bunker Hill, if you're familiar with downtown L.A., uh, is like now just a kind of tall glass skyscrapers uh, and just like kind of office buildings. Um, that's where Angel's Flight is. It's very close to Grand Central Market. And in the exiles, you're seeing that as like a neighborhood where people live. Yeah, in. it's not. It's like not even really a neighborhood in the no, way that it used yeah. to be at all. No, there were these beautiful old Victorian, like I think Victorian era houses in it. Uh, it's primarily where um, Native uh, Native Americans lived that moved into the city, uh, as, as I understand it. I'm not as best on this, like, kind of the, I guess the word ethnography of Los Angeles and the histories or whatever. But if you want to see a snapshot of a particular community in a moment in time and a moment of place, Kim McKenzie's The Exiles is it. You follow um, this woman, Yvonne, uh, who moved into the city to give her kids a better life. Uh, she's pregnant, she's very excited about it, and then you meet her husband, um, who's this guy who is um, kind of adrift, um, spends a lot of time hanging out with his um, friends, uh, who might be more or less a bad influence, uh, or, you know, that are just, like, kind of seem, like, kind of disconnected or lost from a community that that they may or may not have had. Uh, It's a very affecting docudrama. It's, like, kind of in between, uh, like, sort of, it's been called, like, American neorealism, I think. Um, But it's very, very interesting, and also just... Um, seeing that city uh, just alive and vibrant. Um, it's it's shot and looks spectacular, uh, but it's a recent watch, and uh, I thought it was worth um, putting on my list of just, this is this is Los Angeles, you know, movies. It's interesting that they chose to, or that maybe they didn't choose to set it, but that it is set in Bunker Hill in the 60s, because from what I know about L.A., it's like the tail end of when that place yeah. was actually livable before they kind of just turned it yeah. into... Here's a really expensive apartment building, yeah. and here's some stores. I think, I forget what movie it is. Maybe it's The Long Goodbye, or it's like some other sort of like kind of, set in the 70s Los Angeles, in and around Bunker Hill, and there's just like one house still standing, and just like fucking nothing, nothing around else. it. Nothing yeah. around Because they're about to completely erase it and put these big uh, buildings there. But uh, it was also just interesting because like Angel's Flight is kind of like a tourist destination now, but like just seeing it as like a practical bit of public transit so you can get from oh, the bottom yeah. of the hill up to the other was like, oh, damn, that's that's pretty cool. Did you ever go on that? I never did. I, I did. went to Grand Central Market a lot in my last year there just because it was... It's uh, fun. It's fun. There's a lot of good food. Um, and it's like a, a, a cheap thing to do when you're bored. Uh, but I never went on Angel's Flight. I went on it purely just to be like, all right, I have to do this. It's right here. Like, yeah. I'm going to go do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Grand Central Market over there is great. And the Secret Movie Club sometimes will do stuff at Million Dollar Theater. Oh, and so sure. all three of those are like right there. Yeah. So I did the Angel's Flight. And it's fun. It does feel a little bit like, how the fuck does this work? Yeah. <laughs> because it's, you're literally going, it's at an angle for anyone who's not familiar. You're at literally, it's called a funicular railroad system, I think. Funicular? Funicular, 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 funicular. Well, I'm gonna do 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 do. 
Not seen this one, Mason, but thank you for sharing it with me. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch it. Probably not. I would recommend watching it. Well, I probably won't. <laughs> probably if it's screening it. at like the, the dang new Bev, I would say give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, maybe I will one But day. don't don't do it when you're watch- in Chicago. Okay. I'll hang out with you. <laughs> yes, please. My number nine. Number nine. Speaking of hanging out in Chicago. A little bit of a cheat, but not really. Okay. But a little bit of a cheat. Okay. Um, This movie came out in 2020, actually. Okay. Uh, and this, to me, was a godsend because it came out like right around the beginning of lockdown. I want to say like April of lockdown. Uh-huh. And it gave me a little treat every single week to watch this. Uh, this is Jason Heher's The Last Dance. Not exactly a movie, but a miniseries, to be sure. Right. Uh, and I don't, and I don't think it ever had theatrical distribution, but it's on fucking Netflix. You can log in on fucking Letterboxd. Yeah. Uh, and what is a big part of Chicago history but the fucking Chicago the Bulls? Bulls. Or the, the 90s Bulls. The 90s Bulls. I mean, literally, most people would tell you, A... Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah. And I think it's the nine I think it was the nine I can't remember which team went seventy two and ten. I think it was the ninety six Bulls, I think, that went seventy two and ten. But the series is great and unfortunately we're gonna get a lot of fucking copycats of this series. Yeah. The way that they did it. We're getting one with Derek Jeter right now, which is pretty good so far, but it's going to be seven episodes, and I'm like, how the fuck can you do seven episodes on Derek Jeter? On Derek Jeter? Like, I was just like, I don't know. And again, nothing against Jeter or the fact that they're going to try. I'm just confused about how you can fucking do seven hour-long episodes about him and his life. Yeah. I mean, I get it. If, like, I would get three parts, even, to be honest with you. Like, he did have a lot going on. But so the, 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 the structure of The Last Dance is it's ten one-hour episodes, and each episode is a little sliver of Jordan's mm-hmm. history intermingled with the 1997-98 season, which is the last championship that the Chicago Bulls won when they beat the Utah Jazz mm-hmm. and the final like shot to win it that Jordan did yeah. uh, in Utah. And then combined with like the profiles of other players on that team. Yeah. So you had like a Scottie Pippen episode, probably the best episode of the whole series about Dennis Rodman. Like it's a really well done series that gave me a little treat every single week. And originally I did have it at the number 11 slot, mm-hmm. but I thought about the last dance and then thought about ordinary people. And I'm like, I think I like the last dance more. Hell yeah. And it is a Chicago thing. You yeah. know, the bulls, you I mean, people all over the world are Bulls fans because of the Jordan era Bulls. And it's a Chicago's a great sports town. And so wanna do specifically highlight that element of Chicago in this yeah. pick. And it's just a great series if you haven't seen it. Even if you're not that big of a sports fan, yeah. It's a really fun, entertaining watch. Ten hours, albeit, but still, I think it flies by. So yeah. number nine. Uh, that's awesome. Um I really like that choice. It's making me, uh, it's, uh, I feel like for mine, uh, not saying if it's on it or not, but uh, you could do the Made in America. That's OJ. a great Los Angeles movie. It is a great one. Well, like, that one's of, even more of a legit pick because yeah, it did, it did screen. screen at a film festival. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Damn. Yeah, no, I think that's a great choice. Thank you, Chef. Have you seen any of it? I think I saw the first episode and a half when I was uh, locking down with my parents. Yeah. Uh, during the beginning of the of the the, the dang panorama, the pandemic, as pandemic, as yeah. I like to call it, because it's all bullshit. Anyway, go for it, Mason. What's your number eight? So similar to you, you had uh, I my initial um, other part of my initial challenge to myself was the the movies that I pick can only take place in the city of Los Angeles proper. I didn't want to have any valley or anything just because. Oh, in my in my in my fractured stupid vision um that's uh you know they're separate entities but I'm like, no i lived in the valley i could you know it, it's the same it's all the same thing like it's so all much, la county exactly it's yeah. like uh i don't know if so does, very, that, does that mean that there's no south bay like like hermosa beach and stuff like if that? she don't suck me like a crab bag leg i'm gonna have to go back to my old bay <laughs> I, hate that. I hate that i had to be in the room for that that sucks for me all right, I guess I'll just never get my answer on that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, well, this is the thing. Is So I was thinking about that, and then I'm like, well, I can't make a list of L.A. movies and not have one movie on here by Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and he is very much a Valley filmmaker. You could do probably South Bay for um, Inherent Vice because it takes place in the, the fictional Gordita Beach. Yeah. Um, I thought about just doing California in general with um, There Will Be Blood, which is a great California movie. I don't think it's necessary. I don't know if it takes place in Los Angeles, but it's an oil movie. It's a I California movie. I literally could not tell you. I, I know you I know it was it filmed in West Texas, Yeah, but I couldn't tell you where it takes place. Yeah, but then I thought, um, what, like, what movie do I think is like the kind of best Paul Thomas Anderson Los Angeles movie? And without even thinking about it too hard, it was Magnolia. So Magnolia is my Absolutely. number eight. Hell yeah. Uh, not my go. favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but also the one that I think because of its its scope, um, I saw it at like an early enough age where just like the kind of the you can't have like that many particular personalities and like have it take place over that like the many intersecting personalities and just like lives and locations and all this other kind of stuff in a place in a city like Chicago that's very segmented. Sure. You know, Los Angeles is a very sprawling, uh it it's huge. It's it's spread out. Um I thought about including a uh, marriage story on my list because of oh, wow. <laughs> how much it's like, oh, but all the space, you know, it, it like communicates a certain experience of living in LA. But I think Magnolia really sold a lot of, uh, to, I saw it, I think also around the same age that I saw boys in the hood for the first time. Um, and it's like on the other side of the city, basically, yes. you know, um, and just sold if, if boys in the hood was just like, there's these particular human dramas taking place in South central Los Angeles this is like all of the particular human dramas that are happening just like kind of in the mix of Los Angeles. It didn't really register to me at the time that Magnolia was a boulevard in the, in North Hollywood until I was driving a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, um, but all that to say, you know, um, I think that this is his movie. That's his mo- like the most dependent on LA sure. proper. And it's also his, like one of his only contemporary movies too. That's not like a period piece or, or anything like that. Um, and I was just like, if I had to choose one movie to be like, uh, if someone had heard of Paul Thomas Anderson and then got hit in the head and was like, Hey, can I need to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie about Los Angeles? I might just show them this one, you know, like, um, uh, so that's my choice. That's why it's my number eight. I'm shocked that you didn't go inherent vice, but based on your stipulations, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, this is my second favorite PTA movie of all right. time yeah. after, after Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Which is a great LA movie too. Another great LA movie, yeah. But it's not the 
It doesn't play a character in the same way that it does in Magnolia. Exactly. Really. Exactly. exactly. Um, I love this movie. I was fortunate enough to be able to see it at the very beginning of, oh, maybe it was the end of December. Maybe it was either the end of December or beginning of January at the New Bev. Yeah, because you talked about it at one of our year-end wrap-up movie, uh, episodes, I think. Or I forget when you it came up in a past episode, but it I, has I'm up. almost 100% sure it was end of January because end of December I wasn't really doing much because that was when Omicron hit and I had to get on a plane, so I was kind of doing like a quarantine thing at that time. So pretty sure it was end of January. Yeah. And seeing it in the theater again, I had was fortunate enough to see that the Egyptian was the last thing I watched at the Egyptian before yeah. the pandemic happened. The Egyptian uh, temporarily closed. Uh to me, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. I love this movie. It's kind of confounding to me that it exists and works as well as it does. And he was like 29 years old when he made it too. Yeah. Just yeah. for another swift kick in the pants. Um, but I've talked about this movie ad nauseum. And I, uh, spoiler alert, will be doing that again actually coming up. But we can talk about that at the end of the show. Mason, do you want to hear my number eight? You bitch. I would love to hear your number eight. All right. And I don't have a ton to say about it, to be honest with you, because it has been a minute since I've seen it. But I will say some very specific things about it. This movie came out in 2002. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about it as a Chicago movie at first. Yeah. But to me now, after having researched it and actually having been, this is totally a Chicago movie. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get away with this list without having a gangster movie of some kind. Yeah. This is Road to Perdition, baby. This is one of this is one of that movie kicks ass. It does. I really like that movie, and it's underrated too. Yeah, especially in the Sam Mendes catalog. I think this it's is my one of the, favorite movie of his. It's not my favorite movie of his, but Patrick being the chicken when he's eating the popcorn and SpongeBob. The goofy. Um, gorsh, gorsh. I'm being a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm gonna eat my own shit. Gorsh, Max. Max. Gorsh. I got my nuts stuck in the zipper. <laughs> gorsh, Max. We're watching Mr. Belvedere for the nut part <laughs> of Mr. Belvedere. Fuck. Gorsh, Max. Want to turn on Gordy's home? <laughs> gorsh, Max. You want to listen to an episode of Come Town and laugh at all the scary parts, Max? Gorsh, Max. Check out my new shirt. It says I'm vaccinated and ready to fuck. <laughs> and your and your mom's gonna be the first person. I'm gonna fuck Max. <laughs> anyway, this is a great movie. <laughs> um, yeah, this is one of those movies that is should be studied for the visual language of the film. Mm-hmm. The Conrad Hall, legendary cinematographer, his last movie. Yes, and then won the Oscar posthumously. R.I.P. to him. Dennis Gassner, all-time great production designer. He usually works with the Deacons. With Roger Deakins, is the production designer of this. It was featured, the lot, some of the area Chicago areas are the University Club downtown, Pullman, and the Charles G. Dawes House in Evanston, as well as the suburb of Geneva are some of the main places shown Chicago-wise. But the thing that I really want to talk about and don't even have to spend a ton of time talking about is just, there was an era in the late 90s and early 2000s where graphic novel and comic book movie adaptations yeah. were lit as fuck. Yeah. And this is one of them. They really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The feel of this movie, and I'm talking about the intangible feeling that you get when you watch this movie, all graphic novel, comic book movies should be striving to feel like this and the Sam Raimi first two Spider-Man movies. In my opinion. In your opinion. In my opinion. 
I think that that is that is like the zenith of that feeling that you get because it feels dark but not gritty in the way that things have kind of like Man of Steel is gritty, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, But like gritty in like a <clears throat> like a truthful way that is grounded in the character's journey and where they are emotionally. And it's just, I mean, you don't get movies that really feel and look like this a lot anymore. And that's what yeah. I love so much about it. And the ending is fantastic too. It's, it's, we are not wanting for comic book movies these days, these days, but Road to Perdition, like, there is, like, that's like a, a movie that feels like an adult movie, you yes, know? Yes, absolutely. Um, in the way that, like, just because the Batman, the Batman is, like, it's a little rougher than most other superhero movies or most other sort of superhero comic book adaptations, but I would not quite qualify as an adult movie. You know sure. what I mean? Uh, Cause it's still PG 13. Uh, you know, you still have to uh, get kids in the theater for that. It's a great movie. I, I really enjoy it. You can say fuck one time. Exactly. Uh, and, and it's, um, and I'm going to say it now. Fuck. And but no, we can't Road say to Perdition, Road to Perdition has a great, I think, um, kid protagonist, uh, yeah. in it. And, um, I think just like, has a worldview that is informed by uh, has a worldview to it that is um I think accessible to a uh, accessible to a young audience but also just like an adult informed worldview. Absolutely. Um and it does use the city really well. I love uh there's like uh one shot in particular I think they're just like looking down the LaSalle Street Bridge is like the old cars are going. And oh, just yeah. for some reason in particular, I find that particular just like shot. It's like just an establishing shot or a connecting shot or whatever. I find that shot particularly beautiful. And um, rain in this movie is amazing. Love the rain in this. Oh my God, that the uh, the, the shootout at the end. Yes. Oh, that's really, yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's awesome. It's making me want to rewatch it. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope I still have that one on DVD. I hope it wasn't just fucking short. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> That's my number eight. Uh, Conrad Great. Hall, Mercedes Valuable Player on that one. All right, my number seven. Another calling another audible. My number seven. Jesus. My number seven, and this is going to make you mad. I know. I mean, the minute that you the minute you took a second to figure out what your number seven was, I'm like, I'm gonna be pissed. But yeah, it's go uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, I mean, I'm not mad. I just, I just don't I just don't like that movie as much as you like that movie. I know. I um, that's a movie that uh, I think the fact that it came out in 2019, like in kind of my I didn't know at the time tail end of my my time there, I really associate a lot of the feelings. Um, that I had with that time of my life with that movie, and then I returned to it pretty frequently. Um, uh, I think that that is a movie like uh, about like kind of good, you know, uh, just sometimes just like the 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 transition of a day into it. Like, not wait, I'm gonna back up. I think this movie is really beautiful. Is all I'm trying to say. Really beautiful and really meaningful, and it's. Um, really a full screened love letter to um, Los Angeles and just the, the neon and, and the heat and the colors and the sound and the movements. You, you mentioned movement earlier um, about how Chicago moves different than, than cities on the East coast. And this is a movie that's kind of, uh, I love because it just kind of has a, a feel to it that is particularly um, associated with Los Angeles here. And also just, you know, one thing you can get a lot of in Los Angeles that you can't necessarily get in Chicago is uh, interacting with the famous, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the highlights of living there. And this is a movie that uh, is about, uh, you know, maybe a detour to uh, a, um, 
uh, and albeit a violent detour, but uh, a detour um, into maybe a kinder world than the one we're living in, or just a different different one where some people who died young uh, got to live. Um, but for all of that, uh, you know, the beauty is short-lived and just over just a bit too soon. Um, I don't know. I find it a very resonant movie for me personally. Um, it's the three words I would use to describe it are beautiful, difficult, and over too soon, which is a way that I would describe my time in Los Angeles. So, Ooh. but it's low because I, I had to think like, okay, if I was really trying to whittle down, like now that I have like the top, now that I have my 10 movies, what are like the five after that, that would like really, I'd want to pass along. And, um, I love once upon a time in Hollywood, but I think there's just some other movies that are coming up that I think really need to really, uh, fit the city maybe more quote-unquote objectively um, than just my own personal um, experience with it. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino is my number seven. I'd be down to give that movie a rewatch. Um, haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah. Um, I think more than anything, that's when I think about that movie, I just think about that era yeah. of the late 60s yeah. and how faithfully and lovingly recreated that whole era was. Yeah. Um, undeniably... Uh, well crafted in that respect, yeah, and like almost feels like it, its own universe, like that is yeah. separate from the reality of LA, which we knew at that time. Ex- yeah, 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 yeah. And that's I think the big appeal of it. It's like, oh, it makes LA look cool <laughs> in a way that it's not cool actually in the modern day, <laughs> uh, especially since uh, the world has gone fucking nuts these last yeah. couple years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's made it even harder to live in anywhere, but especially in L.A. So, yeah, I would give it a rewatch. I'd be like, hmm, what the, what the hell's going on with this now? But my number seven, Mason. Number seven. Very different from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I rewatched it for this episode because it's been a minute since I'd seen it, and mm. I knew that I was going to have a great time when I rewatched it because I wanted to make sure I wasn't ranking it too low. Yeah. I thought, ooh, if I rewatch this and really like it, I could see putting this in the top five even. Yeah. I didn't. It's my number seven. Okay. But that does not even mean that it's bad or anything. It's just I put it exactly where I thought it needed to be. Of course. And Mason, I can't stress this enough. Movies like this don't get made made anymore. anymore. And it's a damn shame. Nineteen eighty, directed by John Landis, the Blues Brothers. That's one of the, that's a movie where every single second hits. Yep, it's great. The you, I respect its I respect its placement though. Yeah, I I think that it is. I was like, yep, seven is the right spot for that for me. Yeah. Uh, funny, weird in a way that I feel like a lot of movies weren't weird back then. Yeah, like not to say that movies weren't weird, but it's weird in a way that I think that movies weren't as weird, and I think yeah. kind of sets an interesting tone. For a comedy, it's, it's also, individual. It is. It's also long as fuck for a comedy. It's yeah. two hours and fifteen minutes. Which, yeah. I mean, that's long for movies in general, but especially a comedy. But they got a lot of stuff they got to cover. <laughs> that's true. They got a lot of. They do have a lot of ideas that they need to communicate. <laughs> the mall like sequence yeah. is on is literally to me on par with the police story mall sequence. I think of them in the same like breath when I mentioned Damn, mall Jackie sequences. Chan, Chan should have. Busted through the ceiling and rode, rode around on top of a police car. He should have done She Caught the Katie is what he should have done. He should have done some singing. And that's really, to me, what makes this movie elite, is the yeah. music in it. Yeah. Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Cab Calloway. Mm-hmm. The actual Blues Brothers themselves are great. 
John Belushi's a great singer. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd's a great harmonica player. Mm-hmm. The mu- the music elevates this movie to me from like, oh, this is an 80s comedy to, no, this is the fucking it's a musical. Blues Brothers. This is a musical movie that has like literal musical numbers in it. Yeah. You know, like that moment when Relitha Franklin is singing in the in the diner. I mean, every performance number that they give, I love when they go, we want to give a special shout out to all the Illinois state law enforcement that's here tonight. <laughs> it's just funny. They're just fucking silly. The little Skokie, Illinois Nazi references. Oh with my the God. Nazis, yeah, the Illinois Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played by Mr. Henry Gibson, who is a legend. Shouts out. Hey, in Magnolia. Co-star in, of Magnolia. In Magnolia. And when I was watching it this most recent time, I was like, is that the guy from Nashville? Because I always will think yeah, of him yeah, as yeah. the guy from Nashville. And uh, I was like, Heaven, uh, Haven Hamilton? And I'm like, that is, that's the same guy. That's crazy. Um, it's just a fucking rip roaring time. And like, truly, I don't know if we would get, if you, if in the major Hollywood system, you would get yeah. something like this again. I, no, you, you really wouldn't. It had a benefit of coming out when it did. And I think also just the fact that you can, you have like those living like blues and, and soul musicians. John Lee Hooker's in the movie too. Yes, John Lee Hooker. Uh, Maxwell Street, the old Maxwell Street, which they uh, tore down is now UIC dorms, I believe. Um, yeah, really um, great movie. I've seen that movie so many fucking times. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It's so it's, rewatchable. Too. It is. It is. It is. It is. We're uh-huh. very proud of that movie here in, in the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> what's the What's the name of the restaurant that they go to and they're like faking their way, that bar, the country oh, bar? Oh, fuck. Um, it's like Bob's Bunker or something Bob, like yeah. that. <laughs> it's so good. We're the good old boys. <laughs> and they're just getting the sh- Like they get the shit thrown at them regardless. Yeah. Like when they're sh- shitting the bed and when they're killing it. That's such. It's such a good movie. And my one of the best movie quotes actually of all time is it's 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pass of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! That is so fucking funny. Yeah. Just there's something about that moment that is so stupid and so bold is so good. And then that final moment when they're swarming into the building to get the like cash. We're to not check too far delivered. from uh, City Hall where they filmed it actually. We could go there after this oh, record. Shit. Oh shit. Oh fucking shit. Oh, fucking shit. And you know who the guy at the end is? Steven Spielberg. It's Steven Spielberg. Steven I didn't Spielberg. even know it until I saw it in the credits. I like couldn't figure I like He looks he's me. looking like he's like a baby baby though. He's so yeah. young. He's like probably not even 30. Yeah. Um but this is a great movie if you haven't seen Blues Brothers. Don't write it off just because it's old. Like, yeah. it's fucking great. That's my number seven. Let's go. Let's go! Let's go! My number six. Uh, my number six is Greg Araki's Smiley Face. Let's go. That's a great movie. Great movie. Hilarious. Um, if you're, it's, it's a movie I've stumped for a lot on this particular podcast. Uh, and it's a really rewatchable stoner, like, stoner comedy about Anna Ferris who takes too many weed brownies and has to... Um, Basically, has to solve problems while high and get across town to Venice Beach. Uh, I think she lives in, like, the Valley or something. Um, Which, even if you're not high, that's a hard thing to do. Exactly, exactly. Really sells the impossibility of the sprawl of Los Angeles. And it's just a really fucking funny... Uh, and creative and silly, silly, silly movie, uh, which you can watch on Tubi. Uh, so shout out Tubi. Uh, a recent favorite of mine that's the, I, the most movie, the, the most I've ever rewatched a movie in one year, I think, is Smiley Face Damn. in 2021 uh, when I watched it with former roommate Colin Allen whenever we needed <laughs> some giggles. Uh, that's all I have to say about it. Just super fucking funny. One of my favorite comedies and recent favorite. Yeah, I mean, it, there's not a lot else you can say about it without 
like trying to explain what the movie is. Exactly. And you don't want to explain what it is. You just want someone to watch it. Yeah. Because it's really fun. Had the fortune uh, of watching it in a backyard with uh, Rocky Pajarito uh, and some other people, Chris Chalakian. Uh, a lot of people who have been on this show who did a little backyard screening for Rocky's birthday. And that was my first time seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is like a great place to be seeing this for the yeah. first time with, with a big group of friends in a backyard. You know, it kind of it does feel like a little bit like Gregor Rocky maybe would have wanted that like, exactly. for the yeah. movie, that movie yeah. in particular. Yeah. And his uh, some of the choices he makes in that movie are I don't even know how he decided to do it. Like, they're amazing. Uh, so if that doesn't get you guys to go watch that movie. Nothing will. You're yeah. going to watch it. So that's fine. Doesn't ma- actually doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it actually doesn't matter to me at all. Uh, number six. <laughs> <laughs> number six. You knew this movie was coming. This is not a surprise to anyone. Uh, 1990, directed by Chris Columbus, Home Alone. <laughs> you can't not put this movie on the list, I think. this is It's a, a suburbs movie, but it's still a Chicago It's Chicago. Movie. Yeah. Okay. Asshole, it's Chicago. Okay, okay. It's Chicago. It's part of the whole thing. The Santa Claus is also Chicago. No one cares about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times. Uh, it made me, again, one of the, those other movies that made me romanticize the idea of living in the North Shore suburbs of Chicago. Yes. Uh, the house that they made, I literally went to go drive by the Home Alone house. It is a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. That whole neighborhood is just gorgeous. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd, the whole cast, Daniel Stern, Joe Pesci, Coley Culkin is a great little actor Danny in that Tamborelli. movie. Who the fuck is Danny? Is that Buzz? <laughs> Wait, maybe I miss. miss, miss I actually don't know who that is. I don't think that is. Doesn't matter. Okay, it's not yep. Danny Tamarelli. Okay. Never mind. Uh, I don't really need to sing its praises any further, but it's just you know, this is a classic movie, and it had to end up on the list somewhere to me. Uh, and I think it holds up. And every single Christmas, winter time, this movie hits. Yeah, this movie never doesn't hit. And a lot of the movie actually doesn't take place in the house as much as you might think it does. Like in your memory, like. Oh, that whole movie is just him being home alone. Yeah. He's like out and about in the world. Yeah. Like he goes to buy groceries and like there's shit that happens in the movie that is like takes place in those Highland Park Winnetka areas that you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. He's like doing it. He's like a little adult. Yeah. Kind of like that episode of Family Guy where Stewie gets <laughs> left home alone a little bit. I think that's what this is based on, actually. So, uh, I mean, we all know that this movie's great. The cast is sort of my overall Mercedes Viable player for it. So. Home Alone. Home Alone. Noah, we're getting to top five territory. We're getting to Chris Rock territory, baby. We're getting to Chris Rock territory top five. All right, number five. Yup. Michael Mann is making an appearance on my list. Yup. And you know it, baby. Yup. Well, wait, do I? There's a couple that you could choose from, but I think I know what it is. And this is my dilemma, but I ended up falling on on this side. I went with Heat. There you go. That's the right move. It is. Yeah, I thought about... And here's the thing that here's the thing the difference between Heat and the other one that I had in my 15 was Collateral. Sure. Uh, and I had to move it off because I was like, well, if I keep two Michael Mann movies on here, then there's no space for anything else really. Again, this is the problem you brought up earlier. I have an embarrassment of Los Angeles movies to pick, uh, and it was very hard to make some sacrifices. But I went with Heat because I like Collateral because it. Uh, is about downtown L.A., uh, and particularly, like, driving on the freeway. It's another great driving in L.A. movie. Uh, But Heat really is another one kind of like Smiley Face that just sells how fucking big that place is. Oh, yeah. It takes place uh, just from the port of Los Angeles under the freeway in in the motherfucking Hollywood Hills. Uh, maybe not even the Hollywood Hills, but it doesn't matter. Like, you, there's that great shot of Amy Brenneman and Robert De Niro just looking over 
um, uh, the the Valley, Los Angeles Valley. And there's just those those yeah. lights there, and probably there's probably some even you probably stretch even into like Malibu and stuff it's, too. It sell. It's a movie that is um, one thing that I. It's uh, Los Angeles is a very elemental place. I think um, not that Chicago isn't necessarily. You got the lake here. Uh, you got great outdoor spaces. Some snow. Some snow. But I think that there's like um, uh, uh, there's an element to Los Angeles with having the hills there, you know, in particular, and being able to observe and, and things like that. That is captured really well in in Heat. I think um, it's also just a great fucking movie. Like one of my favorite just all time movies ever. Yeah. Huge for me. And that is like why it's in the number five spot. Is just because this is a great movie. It's a great movie that takes place in Los Angeles. And it's also, I think just a great LA movie. Um, just the way that, the, and also just like using the, the architecture of the city, like that shootout just sounds absolutely fucking insane. Um, because of all how echoey it is down there and things like that. Um, I, I can go on for, I, I am not speaking very eloquently about why I love this movie, but I fucking love that movie, and that's why he's my number five. A movie that I, for a while, wasn't understand. I didn't fully appreciate for what it was. There was a yeah. period of my life where I was like, ah, he, I think, is kind of overrated. And then I went down to Orange County, actually, to the Frida Cinema. Mm. The day that they reopened after a remodel, Yeah, and they were like, so we actually just reopened today. I went to like a 12 p.m. screening by <laughs> this movie. And they're like, and so to uh, get the systems back up and running, we are going to show Michael Mann's heat. Hell yeah. And I was like, yep, let's do it. Uh, and I get it. <laughs> I saw it in the theater and I, I got it. Like, I was like, yeah. I understand why uh, this is lauded the way it is. Yeah. And it is, like, you to your point, you get to see so many different aspects of L.A. And I remember so distinctly when I was watching it the first time in my first apartment in North Hollywood, we had this projector system that was actually kind of a huge piece of shit. But <laughs> I used it to watch Heat because I'm like, this is a three-hour epic. This will yeah. be worth it. It was shitty, uh, the experience. And that's probably why I didn't like the movie as much as I wanted to. But I remember when Michael, or when Michael, man, when Al Pacino goes to that, like, industrial like almost like homeless camp area yeah. like do you remember what i'm talking about yeah i literally thought to myself i feel so bad for the pas who have to had to work on that day yeah. like that's literally what i was thinking about because that was my mindset at the time was just paing all the time and i just could not think couldn't not think about that uh and if you're one of those people who maybe isn't big on michael mann because you're like oh his Movies are all just about, like, sad men. You yeah. know, like, they're all just about men who, like, don't really know how to handle their emotions. You're not 100% wrong, to no. be honest with you. <laughs> but I don't think that that warrants dismissing Heat and his other films because of that. Because I do think there's a lot going on in that relationship between Neil McCauley and Vincent Hanna. Yeah. And there's, and there and, and the supporting cast in Heat is so good and... I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen it. But yeah. It is, it, that is a movie you have to see in the theaters before you die. It's one of those. Agreed. 100%. What's your five, Noah? Noe? Noe's five. Noe's five. The Noe five. More like five fingers of Noe. <laughs> five fingers in Noe. Uh, my asshole. And so, number five is uh, a movie that we actually covered on the show. Believe it or oh. not, we covered this movie on the show. We gave it an episode. This is probably the one of those movies that I watched when I initially did. I watched it when it came out. It was probably one of my first images of Chicago without knowing actually that we were in Chicago. Uh-huh. 
and this is Mark Forrester's Stranger Than Fiction. I literally was going to yeah, put Home Alone go. in the yeah. number five slot and put Stranger Than Fiction in six, but I was like, for what it means to me, yeah. Stranger Than Fiction for Chicago was one of those movies where I was like, that seems like a place that I would want to live. Like, yeah. it was like, like, oh, it like feels like an adult city. You yeah. know, like, this guy takes the bus to work. He works at the IRS. His apartment is, like, snug but nice and, like, not embarrassing to have people <laughs> over in. And his Tony Hale's apartment, like, looks cool as fuck. Yeah. It almost feels alien in, like, a certain way when you're in that apartment. I always thought that that apartment felt... Really strange, but the architecture of that film and the design of that film is still the thing that sticks with me. And a big reason is because of Chicago and yeah. because of how Chicago is laid out. And when I think of Chicago, the first thing I think about is the architecture and the yeah. thing in in the buildings and the way that humans interact with the surroundings of that place. Uh, and we did a whole episode on Stranger Than Fiction, so I don't need to need to re sing its praises, but. For those reasons that I just listed, I think it's a great Chicago movie, and Chicago is the perfect stand-in, way more than way more than New York, I think, for unnamed Metropolis. Agreed. In my head, I got biased, but I agree. <laughs> Metropolis, where Superman lives, yes, is Chicago. Yeah. So that big city that is unnamed, to me, it's Chicago. Mm-hmm. Ten out of ten times, and so. Like I said, we did a whole episode on Stranger Than Fiction. I don't need to re-sing its praises, but it's a great movie, an underrated movie, and my number five. Love that. Great choice. <coughs> Thanks. Let's go. Number four for me. All right. I'm also gonna I'm gonna call another. You audible. are making no. You're making all these decisions on the fly. I am. Don't say I'm calling another audible like you had an idea of what you were gonna uh, do. You're right. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Uh, number four. Now this is a very fresh watch. Very fresh. I just watched this last night to prepare That's for this episode. That's fucking crazy. Uh, but sometimes you just have a moment where you're like, this is one of my new favorite movies. This is a new movie that means a lot to me. I watched it specifically for this podcast. I watched it on Canopy, and it's Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep. That's a great movie. Great fucking movie. Great movie. I haven't seen that since college, but that is... That is that's a great, that is a worthy of a rewatch for me, for sure, and I hope that maybe they do it in L.A. in the theater, because I've only seen it in my apartment. That's... That's that's a really special movie. That's a really special movie. I thought a lot about uh, some 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 common favorites of ours. Moonlight. Yep. Uh, uh, George Washington, which we was an early show topic. Yep. Watching this, and then I thought a lot about um, you know it's it's an American independent movie, so of course your mind goes to Cassavetes and things like that. It was made in 1977, I believe, by Charles Burnett in Watts. Um, the Watts neighborhood of, or maybe between 73 and 74, I'm not sure. In any case. I think it came out in 78, but I think it was, it was made earlier. I think it was made a little bit earlier and like he, he had to cobble together money and stuff. Yeah, from what yeah, I yeah, yeah. And he also like he filmed, so much of that movie is just the music that these people are listening to and is oh, in their dude. environment. The mo- When they're dancing to. Uh, when they're dancing, when the girl is, when the daughter is singing along to the radio. Well, that, but also there's just a moment where the, si- yeah. the two adults are dancing, and yeah. I can't remember. I think it's in, I think it's this bitter earth is playing. This bitter earth plays over the end, like okay. the last scene. But, but I know there's the a scene when they're dancing. I forget what song there it is, but it's so mesmerizing. I'm never gonna forget that. It's it, and just in terms of just filmmaking, like 
Charles Burnett's got the fucking sauce, man. Like, he's yeah. a great. There's another Charles Burnett movie that I watched uh, in 2020. Um, I think maybe his second feature called My Brother's Wedding. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, uh, I haven't rewatched it in, in since I saw it for the first time, but I also found that movie particularly striking and memorable. Um, but I wanted to watch Killer of Sheep for this because it is a, a, a great, you know, a touchdown American independent movie and just a great, um, you know, uh, using just like kind of local non-professional talent, I believe, just kind of getting together just the people of Los Angeles to make a movie. It's... Uh, really, really, really spectacular. It's really um, striking and kind of magnificent, even if it is, you know, a, a an independent quote unquote small movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely watch it. And if I gave it another watch, it might end up higher on my list. Um, but it's just so fresh and made such an impression that I had to put it uh, in that spot. It feels, it does feel like that essential to me uh, as an LA movie. Yeah, uh, it's Tr- it's Colors of Sheep. It's like if you, I mean, talk about a whiplash going from Heat, which is a sprawling epic, yeah, action thriller psychological film yeah to a very human movie killer of sheep yeah which is small and very very emotional and very like personal and very intimate it's just crazy that those two movies take place in the same in the same world exactly yeah in the well, same in, in the, the same, same city, city in, in the, the same, same city. city you know d- Split by years, but still in the same geographic, generally the same geographic location. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it just, um, a scene that just strikes, is striking with me now is just there's like a, a like the editing, of, I, I could go on just about like the craft of the movie itself, but you have to watch it if you haven't seen it and let this be a little poking, poking your butt to go check that movie out. Poking the butt. Poking the butt. Speaking poke of, in the, poke, speaking of pokes in the butt. Speaking of pokes in the butt. Speaking of poke bowls. Spe- okay. Speaking of poke bowls, <laughs> actually. Uh, you had mentioned the blend of doc and narrative docudrama, egg, yes. docudrama with the exiles. This movie that I'm about to speak about is the best Ooh. blending of doc and narrative that I've ever seen. Not that it gets done a lot, right? But of the ones that I have seen, I think this is the best. No, yes, this is the best one that I've ever seen. Could this be? 1969's Medium Cool. Let's go. Let's get Wexler with it, baby. Haskell Wexler. Wexler, the goat. Normally Dearly a, departed. Normally a uh, director of photography, but actually is the director, director of this one. And you can definitely tell that like he was mainly a cinematographer based on how he's like putting everything together and yeah. like shaping everything because it's all about what is the camera capturing yeah. in this moment, in this movie. And I was fortunate enough to see this in theaters at the New Bev for the first when I watched it for the first time. I've only seen it that one time in late 2019 with I think Dustin. Uh, it was part of a Robert Forster retrospective. Yeah, uh, because he had just passed away, uh, and I was so taken aback by how aggressive and in your face the movie was. Um, and if you don't understand or are not privy to the 1968 uh, Democratic National Convention uproar. That happened, mm. and maybe your only experience with that is Trial of Chicago Seven, yes. Ten. What's the name of that movie? I I, I don't know that I one that Aaron it. Sorkin did. Yeah, that Aaron Sorkin bullshit. Uh, that those events did not take place too far from where we are right now. Oh, this movie will give you not necessarily the Wikipedia topography, yeah, but it will give you the actual human reasonings yeah behind why those events transpired yeah and it was the first time because we talked about that in high school and my history teacher was a huge piece of shit but he 
really was focused on that event. Yeah. Like we talked about it, I think, in 10th grade and 11th grade and, you know, like really focused on it. It was like important to him. It was like one of the only things that like he really cared about actually mm-hmm. going in depth with us about. And I never really fully understood why. Like I never really fully understood what that, why that happened. Yeah. And if you watch this movie, you will understand on like a deeply human, emotional, psychological level what the fuck was happening in that time because of those narrative, because of those documentary elements and because of the narrative spun in it, it shows it to you in a way that did it happen exactly that way? Maybe not, but that's the truth of what happened. Yeah. Is what those people were up against and how fucked up that whole situation was for the people who actually were put on trial and for like just the people who had to live in Chicago at that time and how just the conditions of everything were like, it was just fucked and it's not to say it's gotten better, but you will like feel it yeah. in a way that you probably, you probably got the topography edition of it in the Aaron Sorkin movie. And I don't even dislike the Aaron Sorkin movie to be totally honest with you, but this is like the college level version of yeah. that movie that Aaron Sorkin did, which is probably the high school version. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I, uh, that, yeah, that movie is is uh, I haven't seen that movie in years actually, uh, but I think medium cool. Yeah, yeah, medium cool. But you're you're right on the point. Uh, right on point with that. Love it. It's a great movie. Great movie. It's yeah. it's from a from a historical context. It's great because it actually, like I said, you understand it and then you actually feel it in the way that I, the another movie that did that I think is The Big Short, where that's a really yeah. intense, complicated thing. And by the end of it, I felt like I understood it on a on a uh, ideological level better, and I felt like I was angry about what had happened. Yeah, and that's how I feel watching Medium Cool because I feel I like see. I better understood the event, and I better emotionally understood the event as well. Um, it's a great movie. I would love to watch it again, but if you can see it in a theater, that's obviously the way to do. It. I mean, that's with everything, but this seeing it in the theater for the first time and just watching how it the doc and the narrative interact with each other. Is fucking great. So number four, medium cool. Number four, and now we are entering the top, top three. three. What's your number three? Sunset Boulevard. Oh, Mason! I thought that was going to be your number one. Well, because well, you thought it was going to be my number one because I didn't lock my yeah, you were dumb my <laughs> my work in progress list on Letterbox.com. Yeah, uh, and it was my number one actually for a long time. But I just um, it, it was my number one, but it is definitely getting a the bronze medal from me. Uh, it's uh, a very foundational movie for me. This uh, like a lot of kind of movies on my list. I watched this around high school. Uh, just because that's when I was like imbibing a lot of just like kind of what are the classics kind of movies. Right. Um, but this movie is it's uh, uh, I think one of the first like kind of conscious examples of like a noir, like consciously watching a noir I can think of. And Billy Wilder is also one of my favorite directors. Like he was one of like because I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm a weirdo with old movies and I love watching old movies um, or and I, I did as a kid. And this is a movie where that I watched uh, as a kid and thought, oh, damn, like Billy Wilder's like the fucking goat. Like this is the guy. Right. Um, and you weren't wrong. I wasn't wrong. No. Uh, but just a really like. Um, I love that the particularly just like the kind of like absurd and haunted tone that this movie has, yeah. um, which I think is very characteristic of Los Angeles. Um, and uh, just these old buildings, these kind of like old overgrown. Uh, you won't see it as much on like Sunset Boulevard these days because everything's so tr- manicured up there now. Um, but 
I love thinking about a time where an old palace like this could just be completely overgrown. Yeah. And there's just like this this ghost. Uh, and if you get too close to the ghost, you get too close to this like kind of um, lost era, basically. Uh, it'll destroy you, um, more or less. Uh, I think it's a really, uh, uh, it's just a tremendous, tremendous movie. One of the best of all time, in my opinion, uh, and indispensable from Los Angeles. So, number three. Uh, yeah, it is one of the best movies ever made. I was fortunate enough to be able to see it at the Academy Museum. Oh, fuck yeah, brother. If you haven't been to the Academy Museum yet, I haven't actually been to the museum itself, but go see something there. Yeah. They have two theaters. I saw this in the small theater in the, uh, downstairs theater with the green seats and upstairs <coughs> they have the <laughs> that was just a real cough I just had the cough in that uh, but upstairs in the uh, they have the David Geffen theater which is huge oh, sure. and probably like I'm not even just saying this as like an LA guy like probably the nicest theater in the world right now oh fuck yeah because it is pretty brand new like yeah. I think the theater's like a year old and can do everything they can show movies on film. They can do Dolby Atmos. Like, they can do everything up in there. Mm. And it's comfy, and, like, it's probably the nicest theater in the world, I would I'd probably argue. Turn it up. Uh, and so, seeing that in the theater, there is something so almost indescribable about that ha- that haunting thing that you were talking about in Sunset Boulevard, where you're watching it, and you kind of just feel... You feel allured to yeah. it. Yeah. But you also are afraid of it at the same exactly. time. Exactly. And yeah. that's what is sort of the magic yeah. of the movie at the end of the day. And you can't help but ultimately feel so bad for the Gloria Swanson character in that movie. Yeah. Because she is so delusional. And unfortunately, it's not that far off from what it's like interacting with some people in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, that and, and the uh, Calabasas one twenty six twenty are the best portraits of delusion delusionality in L.A. One was made seventy years apart from the other, but it's one of the best of all time. And Billy Wilder is the goat. I actually shout out to Jackie Quinn. Have a copy of one two three on DVD sitting uh, in my apartment back in L.A. That I thanks Jackie. Uh, told her I'd watch before I went to Chicago and then did not. So <gasps> gotta watch it when I get back. <gasps> so he's the man. He's the man. What's your number three? So I don't think the top, my top three are going to be of a surprise to anyone. Okay. But they had to be on the list. Yes. These are not some weird, you know, weird thing that I drudged up. These, like, everyone knows these movies. Yeah. But they have to be on the list. Yeah. Number three is The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan. Wait a minute. Because this movie takes place in freaking Gotham City. Okay, freaking Gotham. So you say, so you think that, <laughs> and you're being serious, but you are wrong. It actually was filmed, Mason, in Chicago, Illinois. Are you kidding me? It was filmed in Chicago, Illinois. What? I know, and it's perfect for Gotham. Yeah, and you know our lovely movie that you and I both love, The Batman, directed by Da uh, Batman. Da Batman, directed by uh, Matt, Matt Reeves. Reeves. Is great as well, yes. and they use Chicago really well. But as of now, I got to give the nod to The Dark Knight in terms of mm-hmm. kind of how they use the city itself. Uh, and I think putting those two movies against each other is unfair because they're doing completely different things. Yeah. Probably would still give the nod to The Dark Knight at the end of the day in terms mm-hmm. of a movie I'd rather watch. But it's just, it is Gotham to me, you know? Yeah. It's just like, it is. 
what I um, outside of the animated worlds. Yeah. That was what I thought Gotham to be. Yeah. For most of my life up until, you know, we got the Greg or not the Greg, well, Greg Frieger shot up, but the Matt Reeves is Batman, which yeah. took what I saw in uh, this movie, The Dark Knight, and just cranked up the darkness and was like, damn, that's that's what I want, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, we all have seen Dark Knight. I don't need to go and praise it in a way that's like, oh, you got you got to love this. But there is a reason why film bros love Christopher Nolan. And it's because when he gets it right, he, gets he it right. really gets it right. Yeah. And I think this is his best movie, maybe. I don't know. That's a tough claim. Not looking at everything. I think Inception is his best original movie. Yeah. Uh, and I would probably put this right up there as well. Obviously, Heath Ledger, you know, uh, changed uh, changed my life. <laughs> his, his performance to this said, there's a person out there just like me. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm not alone in this world. Uh, but all the set pieces are perfect in this yeah. movie. Uh, the hospital being blown up. Uh, the opening, like, which is basically just heat, you know, but in yeah. Gotham. The whole Rachel Dawes, you have to choose moment is fucking great and it's got a really beautiful uh what's the word i'm looking for not climactic cathartic ending yeah for the whole thing the way that commissioner gordon talks about what batman means to the city because you really do see batman in this movie think to himself and experience can i do what i set out to do for gotham in this movie and he has that moment of doubt and when commissioner gordon calls him the batman at the end I get shivers down my spine. It's a great movie. Great movie. Uh, some that movie uses like uh, I liked Matt Reeves as the Batman a lot, and I also like Tim Burton's Batman a lot because those feel like distinct Gotham's. And when I watch The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, I'm like, oh, there's Chicago. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so that's fair. Uh, great pick. Got nothing bad else to say about it. Yup. Yup. Give me your number two, Mason. My number two. Uh, it's Roman Polanski's Chinatown. There we go. I just rewatched that right before I came out here. You know what? What's up? I'll say it. What's up? Great movie. Okay. Yup. <laughs> I agree. Great movie. Great movie. Um, another movie. I think they just kind of informed, like, uh, saw it at a young enough age, and it really informed just like how I process the world. <laughs> okay. Where the pe- like, uh, it's also uh, the people in power will take and take and take and take. Uh, and they'll just keep getting away with it. Because <laughs> they can. Because they can. And fuck you if you want to do anything about it. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Um, yeah. Really just a, a movie that I think it encapsulates. I, mean, I I thought of this as I was walking up the train here. And it might get me yelled at by my co-host. But All right. Uh, Chinatown illustrates a particular, uh, I suppose, political reality about... America and about capitalism through Los Angeles uh, in the same way that Widows does through Chicago. Okay. I think I would... I mean, I can't I can't speak as confidently about the Widows one because I just don't have as much experience and I also don't like that movie as much as I like Chinatown. But I would agree with you on principle that that's probably true. I They are kind of on balance, this, like, equal. Uh, Noah is uh, playing with his little nuts right now. Masturbating. <laughs> 
<laughs> Throw me in jail for that. I don't give a shit. Uh, but they, those movies are honestly on equal balance to me in terms of just the, the cities that they are portraying and the political realities of the cities. Chinatown is just a great, like, really uh, nasty noir and, like, just a really yes. just um, vicious kind of move, vicious and unforgiving um, movie. And also just, like, so But also beautiful. Hot and beautiful, but, like, also just, like, I think, like, just the heat that comes off of that movie. Yes. Uh, and just, like, how... Like e- all these nefarious things. Like, what I love about uh, this movie is that it shows that like there's no shadows in Los Angeles, so kind of everybody ha- can be their evil self. Like this, just this, this evil can kind of like take place in broad daylight almost. Um, uh, easy number two for me. It was my, also my number one for a while, but um, I, I just just a great fucking movie. That's it, it. It's a movie again. That was another one that I uh, that so that is in the category of. Noah watched this when he was 14 and didn't fucking understand anything about it and thought it was boring, so he wrote it off. But then, end of last year, I actually watched the movie again at the end of last year, the day that I got my COVID booster shot. Oh, fuck yeah. And I wasn't going to do anything else the whole day because I'm recovering from getting that. And so I'm like, I should rewatch Chinatown (laughs) for some reason. It's because I had just moved into my new place, and I was excited about old LA. I was I had just rewatched Sunset Boulevard and I was like I should rewatch Chinatown, give it another shot. It's been years. Uh and I kind of wish that all detective movies were like Chinatown. Yeah. It's 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 one of those. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, why isn't every movie in this ilk like this? Yeah. And then you remember if every movie was like this, we wouldn't love Chinatown for what it is. Exactly. And yeah. that's what makes it so special. Uh, and Roman Polanski's the guy who cuts Jack Nicholson's nose in the movie. Yes. Which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. Uh, I I had to choose between that movie, LA Confidential, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it was really tough. Well, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's essentially the same movie. It is essentially the same movie. Yeah, great movie on its own merits. Uh, it's also... I kind of wish every movie, villain, movie detective was like Eddie Valiant. <laughs> Absolutely. Eddie Valiant's one of the greatest characters of all time. It's also kind of interesting how Roger Rabbit is... The book that it's based on is like not... A fiction book. It's like a like a like a expose type novel. Oh, really? And I think it's about like why there's not good public transit in LA. Yeah, like it's about like the people in power who made it be that we're going to be a car centric city. Yeah, and not a transit not a transit city. accessible city like every other major well Med- Chicago yeah. New York yeah Houston there's no way you're getting on the fucking bus in Houston <clears throat> that place you need a car down there. But in a lot of a lot of metroplexes, a yeah. lot of major metropolitan cities, you'll have decent to very good public transit. Yeah, and LA is not the case. And it should. There's no reason it should, except for people want you to be driving over there for whatever fucking reason. But they say that there's going to be a way to connect the rest of the world to the West Side. And if that was possible, hey, maybe things could change over there, and it would become more, you know. Uh, but nobody be- that's nobody that lives like I remember just somewhat following along with like uh they wanted to like drill underneath beverly hills high school to put like a, a subway stop there i think or like just part of like the extension and the people the the outraged. parents are outraged that uh they thought that they would be drilling under the high school and like ignite a flame and the high school would blow up and really this is like their cover of saying we don't want poor people in our neighborhood absolutely <laughs> we don't want poor people coming through our neighborhood yeah anyone who rides like, the train is a dreg of society exactly yeah we only want to interact with poor people when they're making us our fucking creation juices <laughs> when they're making our bur- when they're putting too much corn on our burritos. <laughs> 
Chipotle, and then we shit it out yeah. later and make them you take one bite. The corn. What's with this? What's this? There's too much corn in this thing. Make it again. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's saying that all the time. Everyone's saying that in Beverly Hi- Beverly Hills. That's, that's where, where I, I want eat my corn. <laughs> Shitting in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Shitting in Beverly, south side of Chicago. Actually, Ooh, Beverly, a neighborhood in Chicago, which is where the original Rainbow Cone is. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Number two for me. Number two is actually a movie I don't think you've seen, Mason, and is you need to have seen this movie. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Um, this. So number two, number one for me, it's kind of like one A and one B because they're sure. so different. Yeah. So like it would be so weird to say this is number two and this is number one because they're both five star movies in my opinion that are just so unbelievably different that I it's hard to be like this is number two and this is number one and yeah. my nose is actually shaped like a fucking piece of crap actually. <laughs> um, this is like one of the epitomes of a Chicago movie to me mm-hmm. on one side of the coin. Uh, and I don't think you've seen this, but this is 1994, directed by Steve James, Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams. I have not seen Hoop Dreams. For shame. Yeah. You, for, sh- for shame. You you got they they're they're gonna play it in the theater one day. They were showing it at the Siskel as part of their 50, um, but I couldn't make it that week for one reason because I okay. for one reason or another, uh, which is again big shame for me. They will they will show it at some. It is a Chicago legendary it's film coming up on 30, right? In like two years? Uh, two, yes. 1984. Yeah. So, so it'll, it'll turn 30. 30. Yeah. Uh, and it'll turn, you'll turn 30 before this movie. I'll turn 30 before that movie. And that's cool for Cra- you. It's crazy for me. Um, this is, this movie is the totality of somebody's, two young men's lives and their dreams. The time, space, and willpower and circumstances that surround a person's life. Yeah. And it's like, most personal raw form that you can stretch over three hours. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing what they're able to convey and capture in this movie about <coughs> the American dream and basically being born into circumstances that you can't control. Yeah. And <coughs> from what I remember, both the kids were born into similar circumstances, mm-hmm. not the exact same, but similar and one handles it a lot differently and gets opportunities that the other doesn't uh, just through sheer luck and yeah. life having its way about certain things and certain people having money and other people not having money and parents having to work jobs and not being around. Like all the shit that we know exists and makes life what it is mm-hmm. just on display for three hours. Mm. And I will never forget the William Gates thing i think it's the last line of the movie he says that's why when someone says when you get to the nba don't forget about me and that stuff well what i should have said to them is if i don't make it don't you forget about me Mm, it's crushing it's it gives me shivers just to even say that line out loud um and i'm crossing my fingers hope to die knock on wood We'll be seeing it at the end of the month at Brain Dead for the first time since yeah. I watched it for the first time in college and never see it, and hopefully for the first time in theaters at Brain Dead as well. So, very much looking forward to that. It's I actually was this one of Roger Ebert's favorite movies too. Yeah, they, he and Gene Siskel really stumped for it. It's great, and yeah. I, there's no and when you watch it, you're gonna be like, yeah, that's so easy to see why it's such a good movie. It's it's a great and it's a great Chicago movie at that. So. Like you said with Heat, it's a great movie, it's a great movie set in Chicago, and it's a great Chicago movie in that same way that you talked about with Heat. So, 
Number two, Hoop Dreams. If you haven't seen it, make time for it. It's so good. I, I should. Um, I absolutely should. Okay, Noah. Okay, Mason. So my number one. Oh, is it number one time? Are we there? We're at number one. Oh, shit. Okay, We're go for one, it. Baby. Go for it. Go for it. My number one. Maybe it's no surprise if you didn't peek at my freaking list earlier. Oh, Maybe no surprise, uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. There you go. I knew that that was going to be in the top three, and so I figured as much, but yeah. And, you know, using, you know, your your prompt, your question to me, uh, that I uh, arrived at independently. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, I, th- I thought about, like, if I had to just, like, kind of, if I had to explain to somebody else what Los Angeles is like using the medium of film, it would probably be David Lynch's Mulholland Drive because of the way that that movie is, you know, we talked about like the differences between Los Angeles and Chicago earlier, but Los Angeles is a city that the, it's um, a city of contradictions. Like most places are. Um, But just the way that those contradictions interact, the kind of nebulousness of them. I think in Chicago, it's a little more direct. Like you could see the dividing lines between the newer and older buildings. They're maybe a little bit more integrated in a way. Um, At least least now, you know, it's always a a changing city. But Los Angeles, the old and the new and and dreams and reality and and just like kind of the everything that that David Lynch just like kind of distills into a two and a half hour long uh, experience – it was a great. It was one of my favorite movies before I lived in Los Angeles. It's one of my favorite movies that was like really uh, that I came back to when I was living in L.A. Uh, and then afterwards, I'm like, this is just kind of what it's like. Um, I saw. I watched it a lot last year, um, guesting on Heaven Ramirez's podcast, uh, which she just has a new uh, mini series. Just want to shout out from my lips to your ringing ears uh, and Heaven's podcast there. Uh, but I saw it in Chicago with our friend Marin. With our friend Marin, I for, should. <laughs> Forgive me, uh, but they she's, about sho- to, she's gonna kill you. By the way, she is. But they showed uh, the the Music Box Theater in Chicago earlier in the year had a big David Lynch retrospective, and uh, I saw Lost Highway and Inland Empire there, which I think are both kind of great Los Angeles movies in their own way. Inland Empire, uh, but those I think Inland Empire is maybe a little bit more about fame in particular. Um, but talking about like a, a lore and the and the the just sort of supernatural, this sort of weird mysticism, the, the contradictions, the ironies, the the horror, the terror, the um, the beauty, and all this other kind of stuff, uh, it's really encapsulated in Full in Mulholland Drive, and that's really why it's my number one. Besides the fact that it's one of my favorite favorite movies ever, basically, um, is it just is it's just indispensable and inseparable from Los Angeles and the miasma of that place. Um, my one note to myself for talking about Mulholland Drive is how the fuck can you talk about this movie? LOL. Yeah. Because I just it's it's hard for me to really just bring all the like. I think that that you can show like that movie is Los Angeles to me and to anybody that sees it. I think it is also Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Um, it's um, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's 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 you're never gonna forget it. Yeah. I remember watching it for the first time in college. And just basically saying what you just said, which is, what do you want me to say about this? Yeah. Like, what do you, I, mean, like, I watched it with a friend and we were, I just was like, what do you want me to say about that? Like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, I'm not as big of a Lynch guy as you, but I did have the opportunity to see this uh, for the, what would be the 20th anniversary last year uh, at Braindead. Mm. And they had, um, what is her name? The woman who sings Rebecca Del Rio. Yeah, they had Rebecca Del Rio. She sang at the in. music box too. Yeah, she was doing the tour, and she's 
she's a trip herself. Yep. She's pretty wild. <laughs> um, but she came in and she did a bunch of songs, Silencio being the first one, and she did some other songs and was very vulnerable with us about what the pandemic was like for her. And it was yeah. very interesting to watch. And then they played the movie and everything. And that was my first time watching it since college. I think I liked it a little bit less in the moment, but it's one of those movies that I just will never be able to shake. There's yeah. like three or four distinct moments in that movie that just get burned into your brain. The first of which, in my opinion, being the fucking goblin behind the dumpster <laughs> at that, yeah. what, at the at Winkies. Rip- Winkies. Yeah. Yes. At Winkies. Uh, the sound effect that they use in that is 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 yeah, terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. Uh, the other thing that I'll never be able to forget is when the little the, they turn into little people and they run out mm-hmm, of the shoe. Mm-hmm. That's so scary to me. Uh, and then just the Naomi Watts is not understanding who she is. Yeah, ness is terrifying. Yeah, uh, the cowboy is great. I mean, everything in that movie. Whether you fuck with it hard or only are like, wow, I can't believe I this just is the girl. That. Like it's just a whirlwind. Yeah. It's a whirlwind, and you can't not talk about L.A. movies without talking about the Holland Drive. That's right. And my number one, Mason. Yes, <laughs> could not be more fucking different from the Holland Drive, <laughs> Mason. <laughs> You knew I had to do it to him at number one. This is the number one gunner, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of the sh- the Chicago movie. This, to me, when I watched this movie for the first time, it made me want to go to Chicago when I was a kid and be like, this is a place I have to go visit mm-hmm. because if this guy's having as much fun here, I should be able to have as much fun there. Yep. Directed by John Hughes. Yep. 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And it might seem like the obvious pick, but it... You can't not put it number one, I think. It is mm. the Chicago movie. You see this movie when you're a kid. This is the this is a dream when you're a kid yeah. to leave school under your own volition and go have fun with your friends in a big city. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then have a pedophile a pedophile principal chase you around. That guy's a fucking asshole. That guy, uh, that guy sucks. He unfortunately, suck. yeah, he does. He's great in the movie, but he sucks ass as a person. Yep, and that's probably why he played the role so <laughs> well because there's a lot going on there. Um, Matthew Broderick is on top of his game here. Uh, Alan Tuck is that his name? Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. That's right. Alan Ruck. <laughs> Alan, Tuck. Alan Tuck. Whoop. Uh, he's kind of the unsung hero of the movie. I feel like in a lot of ways because. Yeah. Ferris doesn't work as well. If he would he, probably be my Mercedes valuable player, honestly. Yeah, if you don't have uh, Cameron, it doesn't make Ferris look as cool. Yeah. You know, and he's so good at being the... He's not even really a loser. He's just like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Like, he's like the voice of reason almost, basically. Yeah. And Ferris is like, fuck reason. We want to do this. Like, them in, the sh- them in the parade with Twist and Shout playing, you know? Like, that's an mm-hmm. all-time great celebratory moment and then watching him get back home is one of the greatest sequences I think in cinema history to be totally honest with you that whole moment and him jumping over the fence yeah I couldn't not put it number one I watch this movie every couple years and it still kicks ass hell yeah and I know there's some people out there who don't like this movie and to that I say 
Sorry, I couldn't over you over one, my shirt. Uh, uh, one evil kiss for them, please. <laughs> one evil kiss for. Excuse me, barkeep, years. barkeep. Hello, yes, one evil kiss, please. Okay, that'll be seven dollars. Here, I only have five. That's okay. We'll give it to you for five <laughs> for some reason. Sure. Here's a shot of shrimp juice and pickles. Okay. Mm, this tastes like garbage to me, mom. And then your mom's there, and she's like, "We gotta go. We gotta go. You have soccer practice." And you're wearing your soccer shorts on top of your hat for some reason. And you're like, fuck! And then you get there and you get kicked off the team. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's <laughs> day off. Ferris Bueller's day fart. <laughs> Sorry. Fart is poopers. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. That's fine. We don't have to do it We anymore. don't have to. No, we're done. I mean, listen, you might not think this is the number one Chicago movie, Mason. I did not include a movie I know you love. Uh, I did watch it for the pod mm-hmm. and I just didn't, didn't fuck with it in the same way. Uh, but... I don't think you can argue that this is a great Chicago movie. No, absolutely not. No. That's also a movie that I kind of got worn out of watching because we just put it on so much. Yeah, I mean, up, it's, you know. it's, a, it's a family classic. It's a family classic. Um, but you know what? You got to put it on the list. You have to put it on you the list. You have to put it on the list. Wait a minute. What the fuck? What the fuck? Did you just fucking say did we just, it on the Did list? we just put it on the list? I think we did, bro. Folks, we put thirty movies on people's lists today. You got we gave you we gave you movies to watch. And if you're bored of like hanging out in Los Angeles, you can go to Chicago. And if you're bored and hanging out in Los a- Chicago, you can go back to Los Angeles. Because you know what? Those are the only two places on God's green earth. The only places that fucking matter, the baby. The only places that matter, baby. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, we said stick it to all the listeners in New York. Oh, oh, oh. can we get a fucking wingding over hey, here? Let's can we go get to a- Atlantic City? Let's oh. go to Long Island. Let's go to fucking. Naples, Florida. Hey, I'm vacationing in Maine over here. Hey, what about Boston? Hey, New Hampshire. Hey, what about Dubuque, Iowa? Freaking the Cannes Film Festival. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening. These are the plugs. We finished the podcast for the first time in five months. Yep. I know they said it wouldn't happen. I didn't think it would happen. (laughs) But we did. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Noah Marger and on Instagram at Noah underscore Marger. You can listen to my podcasts. Everybody <gasps> wants to. The number two, get on the list at gmail.com. I don't think we'll be reading emails because <laughs> the show's over. This is a reunion episode. But you can also listen to my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. Yes. And folks. Folks. Breaking news. Breaking news. This is the news of the world. My favorite podcast is returning soon. Let's go. What the fuck? That's what we want to hear. That's what you want to hear. Ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh. That's true. I'm not going to say what it is. Okay. What it's going to be returning as. My favorite podcast has already returned on your podcast feeds as my favorite Paul cast. You'll, if you liked listening before, I think you'll like listening to it this time. But it, we're doing a little mini series to come mm, back with things. Okay. So... Stay tuned for that. I'll make a bigger announcement, so make sure you're following the Instagram and Twitter for that, at MyFavePod on Twitter and at MyFavoriteUnderscorePodcast on Instagram. And Mason. And Noah. Another, this is true, another bit of breaking news, news of the world. If you live in the Los Angeles area, this is real, August 26th, 8 p.m., at the Cat's Crawl in East Hollywood, I'm doing my first ever stand-up show. Let's go! This has already happened. Sorry, folks, but keep an eye out on Noah's socials in case he does it again. Come one, come all. I'm on a lineup of very funny comics. This is my first ever stand-up show, so if you want to see that, April 26th, 8 p.m. Pacific at the Cat's Crawl in East 
Hollywood. That is huge be news. There. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Congratulations. So, that's what I got plugs-wise. Mason, hit us. Folks, I don't have anything too exciting to plug. You can listen to The Barn, a podcast about The Shield. You can listen to the four prior episodes of It's On The List with Noah and Mason. You can also go on Instagram to find me. You can find my pictures at Good Sky Tonight, T-O-N-I-T-E, where I'm taking pictures of the sky. You can also find me at Hot Dog Debicki on Instagram, where there's a link to, uh, you can just see what I'm up to. Go on Twitter, uh, at Hot Dog Debicki as well. In both places, the link in the description is my t-shirt line on teespring i will say i am trying to uh not be on teespring as much anymore i'm trying to do a little other project with the manifesto line uh so keep an eye out for that uh keep an eye out for that it's just something i'm trying to work on because you know what i missed podcasting i miss having a project to do um so i'll be back with something in the future uh but twitter and instagram are the best places to find me when that stuff happens um that is all we have to say folks thank you as always for listening as we used to say on the show tell someone you love them this week do something you love this week and we love you we love you guys thank you so much for tuning in if you did uh this was a fun reunion I'm so glad I got to do this again. <laughs> and I'm so fucking sweaty. Right uh, I have to pee really bad again. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Kiss. Evil kiss. Do you have water?